to the Real Point Podcast. I'm Connor. I'm Bria. And I think I should start by saying Happy Halloween, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yep. Um, it's been that long since we've done it. Only really just because I think the last, I can't remember the last episode that we'd done, but then shortly afterwards we kind of went back to work when things reopened COVID-wise, yeah, which we, stopped us from doing a lot. I know, we, we sort of fell off the the process of getting into the habit of doing it like weekly and yeah. everything. And not but, to say we didn't have plenty of ideas. Oh no, we had loads of ideas of things to do, um, so we do apologise for being away for so long. Um, so we thought, what we tossed around ideas of what to do, um, for one, to sort of end the year, start the year, um, and we sort of settled on just doing a rundown of everything of the year so far, because it's the simplest thing to do, and we usually have a habit of just... Um, making like a sort of general top 10 of films that we enjoyed in the year anyway. Yeah, so and we, we did do a quarantine catch-up uh, last year, so that's probably the last time we actually spoke about what we've been watching. Yeah. Um, since then we have like a huge list of films that we've seen. Um, unfortunately, I think only one of them we've seen in the cinema. Well, no, actually, when you think about this year, we've seen three films in the three cinema. Three films in the cinema we've seen as a whole. And yeah, then I went to the cinema four times and you went three times. Oh yeah, 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 and then yeah, that's that's it, and then the rest has sort of been from home. So yeah, we've we've managed. Well, we think we've we've <laughs> remembered everything that we've watched. I've double checked everything, and the actual list. I don't even know if it's worth reading out aloud because we're going to cover a lot of it anyway. Uh, we'll go over some stuff maybe at the end if we have a bit of extra time for the stuff that we didn't talk about. But there was plenty from this year. Um, obviously, yeah. some stuff released in theaters and. A lot of other stuff on VOD. Um, a lot of stuff was sort of dumped very unceremoniously on a lot of platforms as I well. <clears throat> Unfortunately, like we missed out on a few films this year, which we'll talk about probably at the end. The yep. films that we've missed that unfortunately weren't able to come out this year, hopefully, will come out next year. Yeah, and there's also you know um, benefit of <clears throat> sitting around a lot of 2020 and watching a lot of films is that there wasn't a lot of films coming out this year, but we also discovered a lot of movies from previous years that could maybe even just be all-time favourites later in the line and stuff as well. So there was a lot of discovery still happening regardless. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a very mixed year overall. So we'll start with our top ten, which isn't going to be in any particular order except I don't know if you want to talk... Like, I mean, I, I've got a top pick. I've got a number one f- favourite film of the year, which I will talk about at the end, but we'll go through all the other nine. Yeah, I think I, I, to no be honest, I, I probably would agree with you on the the top film I mean I have my own sort of list of top films for top 10 and I think the only difference is two films in the list but um, yeah we'll just you'll have to be the one to point out when Oh yeah, yeah, like I'll just so I'll probably just add in them. Yeah. I wouldn't put them in an and at order. And we've seen them both as well, so yeah. like you know we can still talk about them. Of course. Um, so I'll start, and since we're kind of sharing it, we'll start with I guess kind of the biggest one. It's the only big blockbuster this year, mm-hmm. and probably the one uh, probably worth getting out of the way first is uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Yep. Um, the last film we've seen in the cinema. It is the second last film I've seen in the cinema. Oh, second last for you. Yeah, last film for I, um, myself. As an aside, I had the absolute pleasure of seeing um, an Akira 4K remaster earlier this year. Oh, um, no, I was gutted. I couldn't go to it. It was wonderful. You. It was really, really good. Um, but before that, it was Tenet, um, which was a big thing because obviously there was a lot of uh, very negative press about Christopher Nolan being adamant that this had to be released in theatres and then kind of double backing a little bit when it released in theatres, kind of flopped and then got released on um, streaming services and. Um, DVD and Blu-ray like almost immediately, only a couple of months after, a mm. lot much faster turnaround than it would be normally. Obviously, yes, it's, a, yeah. it's a different landscape now. It was a, a, I mean, it was a hard, the kind of, like I can understand why you would want to see it in the cinema. I mm. mean, I definitely, 
agree it looked incredible oh yeah, yeah on yeah. like in the cinema I mean we did we do IMAX we did um, yeah, so we, obviously that's the way that he intends all his films to be yes, in IMAX and I mean we don't do IMAX all the time but we did for that and um, obviously it was a hard time when it came out because the, it was before cinemas sort of shut due to Covid yeah. um, I mean we were very precautious anyway about and we, we were sort of debating going but luckily the experience we had at the cinema was very yeah, well um, done like everything was so well laid out yeah. um, to and we were there was only a, about a handful of people yeah there was the only about half a dozen people very spaced out um, and everything so it was very safe yeah um, but enough about the the background of it I guess the actual film itself um, it is in our top 10 um, I mean there wasn't really any doubt I think going in uh, you know I think especially now in the past couple of years there's been kind of like a turnaround on people sort of disliking Nolan and I think it's got a lot to do with um, people who sort of and it's true because there's plenty of people like them as well there's sort of like 14 year old kid who's like just getting into movies and they like worship the ground and Nolan walks on mm-hmm. um, and you know that can be a bit annoying sure but like we also have to remember that like he is as popular and as successful as he is for a reason because he knows what he's doing like he's a very yeah. he's a very good filmmaker and um, Tenet was something that I was looking forward to because although Dunkirk was really good and I really enjoyed it um, Tenet was sort of that return to like the Inception style of like yes. very high concept sci-fi it's also like a spy movie it's also like a heist movie so it's kind of like Inception in that way mm-hmm. um, so it's got all the th- things that I kind of like and it really makes you think um, even if thinking is probably the most difficult part about it because uh, we've only watched it once. I've actually got it already. We've, we've, uh, I know we're like sort of dying to rewatch it again, but it's <laughs> kind of have to be in a mindset to yeah, watch absolutely. it. It's definitely worth wanting to pay attention. It's not I'll something be, you could just stick on in the back. I'll be taking it. notes when we watch it again. Really, only just because the actual science of it can be kind of hard to follow. Like you can, I think, and maybe this is a detriment to it or not. I'm not entirely sure. It wasn't really for me, but it starts off fairly simple. Like it kind of. It delivers this exposition in a way that's actually kind of understandable and readable. Yes. And yeah. then as it goes on, it gets a bit more difficult. But that's only really just because when you see the the concept in action, it can be a little bit con- like it's. Yeah. It's you hard don't to explain. I, know no, I don't want to spoil it, but obviously, like if you've seen the marketing and stuff, you know it's about like it's about time travel to an extent. Yeah. Um. And so sometimes that's already a bit of a weird one. It's like, you know, when people say that, like, the worst <laughs> episodes of Star Trek are the time travel episodes, they're right. And time travel can be a bit funny because then you get into this whole sort of realm of, like, rules and... Yeah. That's fine, because I like, I like rules and I like structure, but then, you know, it can also be a bit too jam-packed. Um, and, which it certainly is, and just like every other other Nolan film as well, there's a lot of very odd audio choices that make the dialogue a little bit hard to yeah, hear at times. Like, yeah. Um, but that's almost to be expected at this point. Um, <laughs> I think he's even like sort of apologised, or at least he's even admitted that people tell him that all the time. <laughs> so it's like, why haven't you changed? Know, You've been doing that shit since like Interstellar. Speaking of, like, I know I was, like, there was like the problems with the the audio and stuff, but on a on a plus towards the audio, the soundtrack yeah. for Tenet is absolutely <clears throat> incredible. It, it is. is actually one of my favourite like pieces of music for the year in general yeah I agree uh, it's very very well done yeah there's like right at the start when it's when, when the film opens it's like um, it's like a not an opera it's like an orchestra and performance mm-hmm. getting sort of set up and started and like the moment like the first note gets played like a gunshot goes off and it is loud like again this is probably the benefit of seeing an IMAX um, and it's so loud and it's so in your face immediately and like everything kicks off um, this is just the start and then eventually within about couple of minutes in like 
the score kicks in and I actually remember like sitting in the theatre and I was kind of like slumped down and relaxed and just ready to sort of like have the film wash over me but when the soundtrack actually kicked in like in the first few minutes like I actually sat bolt upright because I was like wait a minute what's going on here like it's so good like it, it, it hits you like a brick I know um, it's, a, it's an incredible soundtrack um, and no surprise because obviously it's Ludwig, uh, Ludwig Granson who's done I mean there's not a lot that he hasn't done he's very famous right now for doing the now iconic music for The Mandalorian mm-hmm. um, but he's done a lot of music for Marvel movies as well particularly like Black Panther he does all that um, he's also the producer of the Childish Gambino and stuff as well so like the guy's talented and he's got a lot of um, he's got, got a lot of good working history as well but this was um, I mean maybe I'm just forgetting a lot of other music scores that he's did but this was almost completely different like, oh, outside yeah, of his uh, uh, it was not even just that but like as a soundtrack it was yeah. unlike well, unlike anything really that I've heard in, in like sort of film, it was, but and very it suited the film it so did. well for yeah. what the concept is. Um, yeah, it just fit very perfectly. Yeah. Um, we won't talk too much in length about like each film because there is a long list. Yeah. But the one thing obviously I will bring up about Tenet is obviously the best part of Tenet is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Incredible in Tenet. The performances are good all round, I would say. Um, Robert Pattinson in particular is a, is a top for me because he's just so funny and agreeable. Um, and he just makes a good sort of uh, companion to David John Washington as well, yeah. who plays, whose character is literally called the protagonist, um, as if that's not Nolan in action there with these uh, weird writing choices. <laughs> um, but he's great. Um, a little bit weird about... Um, Kenneth Branagh playing the bad guy he was alright and then there was um, I cannot remember her name for the life of me the sort of love interest character I could sort of do without oh, yeah. um, but all around the performance is really good but yeah as you say Robert Pants in particular was a very special yep. um, should we move on to the next one? yeah might as well <laughs> we have such a long list obviously but we'll kind of just maybe mention some films just yep. rush over but obviously we'll talk about the ones in our top 10 a little bit um, so I don't know about you but for me on my list that I've got next up is Possessor Yes, which is probably one of the last films we've watched in 2020. Yeah, it was only a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so it's quite fresh in mind. Um, It was something sort of... It was out of the blue that we sort of watched it because we came across it. Yeah, um, I followed We were waiting for, obviously, it to come out, but then it sort of just... Yeah, I follow the the company that produces it or distributes it, um, Neon, I follow them on Twitter, and they kind of... They're kind of like A24 in that way that they have clearly someone in marketing who kind of is with down with the kids with the memes and stuff <laughs> so um they were talking a lot about possessor because obviously they were distributing it or whatever um i think we tried to get hold of it and then there was you know just not really a good copy out and then when we eventually got around to watching it fully recently it was the uncut version yeah and um, so there's no point of comparison to what's in the uncut version what's in the original i have um, heard from obviously people that have watched <clears throat> both that the uncut version is significant to the film. Okay. Um, but it's not a massive, it's not like it's a a huge difference in length no. from the cut version. Either way, um, what we did watch was absolutely fine. I mean, I say fine, it's in the top ten of the year, but um, <clears throat> it's um, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of David. Um, and it is, again, probably not, definitely not going to give too much away because it's the kind of film you should definitely watch blind. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't even know what we were going into. No, when we tried watching it before, we only maybe got about 20 minutes in. So we knew the general setup, but we just didn't know what happened after Like everything does get set up and the story kicks in properly. Um, So it's kind of a sci-fi thriller 
horror-ish movie. Um, yeah. Following, uh, I'm going to forget her name, um, Andrea Riseborough, yeah. um, who, you know, also famously in Mandy as well, um, is someone with a very odd and peculiar job. Again, I'm really not going to give too much away. Um, <laughs> it's hard to kind of yeah, uh, not give a lot to away. To dance yeah. around it a little bit, but she has a very peculiar job that involves, um, you know, her working with other people in a way again being incredibly yeah. vague and stupid um, and then everything that sort of follows is a very strange journey into um, self-identity and um, weird body horror stuff um, identity horror if that's a yeah, thing as well yeah I don't know 100% I feel um, like the, a lot of it is to do with like yeah, identity and it's not a there, there are there's not it's not a scary movie but there are scenes uh, there's a lot of violence in it's, it's very, very graphic gory. very graphically violent um, i mean even to the point there was i think there was one bit that I actually had to yeah, close my away, eyes because yeah. i just there, there's certain things like i can watch a lot but there's certain things that just get my like goosebumps like oh my god no yeah. no there's and, a lot of rough stuff in yeah. Possessor, um on top of a lot of the sort of implied stuff and a lot of the um there's a lot of fun visual stuff in here as well um sort of on the body horror front with like um, I don't even really know how to describe it, like melting wax yep. um, and um, rubber faces, oh, yep, yep. Um, stuff like that, and it's just it's an awful lot of fun. Um, it's not a really fun movie. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a fun movie. It's not a fun movie, but um, I enjoyed it. Kind of the same way that I enjoyed Tenet. It's that kind of thing that really sort of appeals to me, where it's like weird sci-fi tech, um, and obviously being some of David Cronenberg and stuff as well. That's all very much there. Like there's some, the mach- the machine that the main character uses. Um, it's like a big helmet mask thing. It's yeah. like white and it's got all these like sort of like pipey bits coming around the side. It's, it's really just my kind of thing. There's <laughs> a bit later on where there's a, a guy and he's got this like machine um, and it's literally just like nuts and bolts and metal frames all kind of thrown together. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. I really like that kind of stuff. Um, everybody vapes in it, which is just another weird choice that I really dig for like no <laughs> apparent reason. Um, it's just, yeah, it feels like it's lived in um, and it feels like it's realised like you still have questions about everything like mm-hmm. like who are these people why are they doing it who pays them you know stuff yeah, like all these yeah. but then everything that isn't makes really sense. yeah because even though that is what the film's about it's also not about at the same time like yeah. a lot of it's more the to do with the characters and as we've said like identity of themselves rather than the actual concepts of what's going on so you don't really mind that you know, like there's questions that aren't answered and it kind of works that it's not really answered and you don't really get a background no, to there's it. not really an awful lot of unanswered questions by the end of it either like you feel like you've kind of you've been on the ride and you've kind of been given the experience um it doesn't really feel like there's any loose ends tied up and there's also like especially the way that it just sort of ends um it's all very neatly tied up with the boat um yeah like all the sort of themes were explored and everything had a setup and everything sort of had a payoff and it all worked out really well in the end um like you know it does the simple thing of like it sets up something at the start um, and then it ends that exact same way but with a slightly different twist to show the change perspective yeah. and stuff. It's a really really good movie and it's not even like his debut movie either. Um, you know, I guess it's, I think it's his second. Um, yeah, but his first one was Antiviral. Antiviral, which I've not seen. I did start watching and gave up on but Apparently I, it's not that good. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are sort of now counting Possessor as being like his actual yeah. debut now. So I mean I fell off it so I can't really say much because I didn't really watch a lot of it before I turned it off but um, yeah I think people will sort of see they'll probably yeah. just brush over that and then they'll see Possessor but Possessor was yeah yeah, it was a damn good sort of That also had a good, um, good music as it well. It did, it did. And it also had like the the cover 
is probably like the main thing people yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. when they think about the film. Um, which and the colour yellow. Yeah, and the colour yellow. <laughs> there's some good light, like light bits. There's yeah. a lot of reds as well um, yeah. in the film and stuff. But um, no, the cover is like really cool. The, yeah. the artwork and a lot of the visuals are really cool in it as well. Um, shall we go on to the next one? Yeah. Uh, right, tell me if this one isn't on yours, but it is for me anyway. And again, not that long ago, we would have watched it, I think just back in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yes, um, it, was abs- it was so good. Written, starring, and directed by Jim Cummings, which is his follow up to Thunder Road, which we watched after. Um, we didn't finish it, I think we got the majority of Thunder Road done. Um, but we only watched it because we loved Wolf of Snow Hollow yeah. so much. Um, and to be honest, I. Thunder Road was fine. Um, it's a good movie from what we've seen, which was mm-hmm. the majority. But I, yeah, like Wolf of Snow Hollow is one that I'm always going to tell people about first. Um, oh yeah, yeah. A yeah, tremendously good movie, and it's not like anything absolutely groundbreaking. It's just really simple and fun. Yeah. Um, the setup being that there's a small town in the middle of nowhere, and it's snowy everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and there's a strange um, set of murders going on that seem to be a little bit more violent than the average, and uh, yeah. the locals start to think that it could potentially be a werewolf. Yep. Or is it? And then that's literally just the setup. I know. Um, it's following the the police officers investigating, yep. um, and yeah, not you don't want to give too much away either. No. But um, yeah, the, that is basically the concept. But it's really cool. Yeah, there's a, it's very funny. It's very funny, but in a in a dark humor, in a, yeah, in a dark yeah. humor way, which is the same as Thunder Road when we watched it as well. Mm-hmm. Except that's kind of more on the sort of cringe side of humor. Yes, um, yes. Wolf of Snow Hollow is generally like at times it is laugh out loud and it's also just like it's very dark. Um, but I think that it wouldn't be as, su- as successful as it was if it didn't have Jim Cummings just playing the main character yeah. in it. He's just really, really good. Oh, he's really, um, really good. He plays character so well. He does. Um, and that's probably the biggest draw to the movie is actually just him, his performance, and just his character in general because he's not he's not a good person, but he's also trying, um, which is the point because he. So it seems to struggle with like alcoholism and um, anger issues and stuff, and um, like watching him sort of go through the movie and like sort of face the struggle of like the main plot is really entertaining. Um, I can't really describe why um, without giving anything away, but it's just that uh, to watch him sort of like go through it and figure out what's going on or wrap his head around it and like interacting with other people in this film as well is just like an absolute joy and he's mm. really really good in it yeah. um, and the mystery is engaging like you do you are sort of questioning things constantly and when it seems to give you an answer very early on that may or may not be true like you know it's, know. it's, it's sort of a murder mystery but it's not really a whodunit but yeah. it constantly leaves you guessing or which is what I like. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um, but that's kind of what I like about um, a good sort of mystery thriller like kind of like that it reminded me a lot of the flow pitch killer that way where like yeah. when you think that you had a grasp on it it would kind of like coil its way out of mm-hmm. your grasp and then change it into something else yeah. um and wolf of snow hollow done that for me um as well as just generally like i actually kind of like werewolf related stuff so like yeah. and um, the, the werewolf stuff in this is really yeah, cool. it's really good <laughs> um and yeah just a really good and maybe it's just a weakness of mine as well but i think i said it when we started watching it as well was um i just like thrillers set in snowy locations yeah. like simple yeah. as that I don't know what it is about it but there's a there's an appeal to it yeah there's there's something especially like the time years while watching it it's mm. just uh, it felt very spooky yes um, so yeah I absolutely loved it I don't I, I, I wonder what you could possibly do next um, because I think when we watched Thunder Road after Wolf of Snow Hollow it was kind of a bit of a whiplash in terms of genre because it's mm-hmm. not Thunder Road is kind of just more of a simple straight drama yeah um, which is fine. There's absolutely no problem with that. Um, and the thing is, anybody can do horror, but you know, not 
Uh, where he can do a horror well kind of thing. And he did do it really well, but it's also not strictly a horror movie yeah, either. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other things. And again, that's something else I quite like, is a lot of genres packed into one. Because again, not everybody can do that, but when you can successfully pull off a lot of tones and a lot of styles, then it really does pay off, and I think he does a really good job yeah, with this. Yeah. Um, next. What? Let me have a little look at the list. Let's see what... Well, actually, no. Well, we we're talking because there's there's two that I said that I would add on. So you want to just throw those in? Yeah. Them, yeah. So yeah. I'll sort of say them both at once and sort of talk about them both. So there was, come to daddy, mm. and there was, oops, oh, and the lodge. Yes. Yes. Um, which we've already spoke about the lodge in our quarantine catch up. Did we do the come to daddy in our quarantine catch up? I think we did. We didn't. I can't remember actually. I don't know because I don't know if we were planning on doing a part two of that, and come to daddy was going to be on the part yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. I think so, it might have been. So the lodge we can sort of brush over. It, obviously, I said how much I absolutely adored the film. Like, I think it's incredible horror, um, and it's a very good Christmas movie as well. I guess so. <laughs> but uh, so I'll leave that. And if you want to hear us talk about that, you can obviously listen to our quarantine catch up. But um, there was Come to Daddy that was by... No, I actually have no idea. But it was uh, Elijah Wood mm-hmm. that was the main character. And oh my God, I cannot recommend to watch this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. It was another sort of weird twist of what was going on yeah. sort of movie. Um, it went in a completely different direction from how it starts and how you think it's going to go. Yeah. Um, but it was so good. It is very good. And it's as you say as well, it's that thing where... Um, it throw it can throw a spanner in the works like maybe a quarter of the way in a halfway through and you know for a lot of people that might be a bit of a turn off where it's like oh what's happened this is stupid where's this coming from kind of thing but it works really well yeah um you think you have it figured out and then it throws something at you and you're, it changes the entire perspective yeah. of everything and then it's almost a different movie after that yeah and it does it like at least like two more times before the end no no um to be honest, it's been a little while since we watched it, so like I've got a little bit of a fuzzy memory on it. So. I kind of would be happy to watch it again, yeah, like because I um, um, really did like it. There was there was quite a bit of cringe, I remember in it. Yeah, at the start. Um, yes. Because it is Elijah Wood sort of catching up with his estranged father, um, so there's a lot of and obviously they're two very different people. Um, especially like Elijah, <laughs> where like uh, you know Elijah Wood's performance and stuff. He's I don't even really know how to describe him, but like maybe it would help to say that like there's a bit where uh, he has like you know he's just a very modern young man basically you know and he's got fashionable clothes and um, a weird mustache and he's got like this gold iphone or something and like his dad like throws it over the side of like his cabin walk boardwalk thing or whatever and it lands like on the rocks in the sea and then he's like oh my god dad that's like a twelve hundred dollar gold iphone designed by lord or something like so <laughs> so that's like his like kind of that yeah. The best way to describe it is he's that type of person. And his dad's not like a rugged outdoorsman, but he's a very... He's just a man's man, really, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so there's old, a lot of... A bit old-fashioned. Yeah, so there's of. a lot of clashing there yeah. um, almost immediately. So in terms of like that kind of cringe, it's yeah. all there. Um, but then, you know, everything else changes constantly. Yeah. It changes quite fast as well. It like does. It, and yeah, it takes a turn quite early in. And then, obviously, as you say, there's a few more twists during, but... We might talk about more at a later date, mm-hmm. but um, I'll let you move on to so Well, yeah, we're not talking about The Lodge. No. Um, well, actually, so I only remember this because I put them together. <laughs> um, my next pick for my top ten is, um, funnily enough, Wolf Walkers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is the new film from Cartoon Saloon, the Irish studio who had done um, Song of the Sea, um, Legend of Kells, or is it The Book of Kells? I can't remember. 
Um, and they also um, had success at the Oscars a couple of years ago with the breadwinner, which we've, which we've not seen yet. But we, um, we we do plan on watching. Yeah, because um, I've seen well, we've watched Song of the Sea together. I've seen Book of Kells um, and I've watched Wolfwalkers, um, which is another cartoon slew movie, so it's good. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we we knew um, going in like we were, we were you were gonna yeah. we were gonna enjoy it, and we knew it was gonna be good straight off the bat. Um, so. There was no doubt in that no, from the start, but um, it was, it was, it was very good. I think um, we had this weird thing where we watched, um, I think like maybe the night before or a couple of nights before we watched Klaus, um, because we were in the Christmas yeah. spirit, um, which we really enjoyed, and um, that's a really good movie, but it's not worth talking about right now. Um, and then we watched Wolfwalkers shortly after, and I had the same thing to say about both of them at the end, which is that it's really good, and it's going to get a lot of good write-ups, because Klaus did as well. Um, but no one's going to care. <laughs> and that's kind of the saddest thing. Um, that's the thing that really winds me up the most. Yeah. Where um, it doesn't get the recognition that it no, should. No, it still does get a lot of recognition. It's just that like we are still constantly living in a world where, when it comes to the Oscars, it will always be the next Pixar, the next Disney that get it. But they've been making the same looking movies for like not even like well about forty or well, twenty, thirty odd years now. Yeah. Well, since they kind of bought Pixar, they've all started to look the same, and it's like. Well, speaking of, we just watched the new Pixar. We did, um, but again, apart from maybe like some character stylization, you know what I mean? Like the, I know the look of a Pixar yeah, movie. Is I'm like, talking like you know. Um, you you kind of know when you when you see a bit. Say like you turn on the TV and you a film is halfway through or something, you can tell quite fast if yeah. it's a, you know if it's a Pixar film. You I can just tell mean, it's a Pixar film. in terms of like you know, um, and this isn't to knock it either because obviously like you know Pixar and Disney films do look good. Like their stylization is the thing that I have the stylization the presentation is what I have the issue with. Where like it's all just computer generated stuff, and of course it all looks good. Like they can make hair look like real hair, the water looks like real water. Like you know, it's photorealistic, and that's cool, obviously. But like with Wolfwalkers, for example, and Klaus, like well, if we're talking about Wolfwalkers, so I'll stick to that. Like it's all it's hand drawn. A lot of it's digital, but like the majority of it's still hand drawn. It's like actual roots. Like it has a stylization that's like unique to itself. Like it sort of looks like Song of the Sea. But it doesn't look like Song of the Sea. It's the same style, but it's also different art styles for the character designs and such. In Wolfwalkers, like you can actually see, like if two characters are speaking to one another, if they like move a certain way, you can actually see that, like for the sake of like I don't know rawness or whatever, they've actually left in like the anatomical sketches. Like you can see yeah. like the the sketches of their head and stuff like that. And I think that's really appealing. And their character designs are appealing. Um, we've not talked about what the movie's about, um, <laughs> but it's about them. Um, a uh, little place in Ireland and they're having a big wolf problem and uh, this little girl called Robin um, wants to go out and hunt wolves with her dad, played by Sean Bean, who's uh, hired as a hunter by this um, horrible tyrant of a man to like get the wolves out so they can expand outwards into the forest. Um, yeah. And the young girl Robin stumbles across a, a young girl called Maeve, who's a wolf walker, so she's essentially like a sort of like a werewolf type Yes. Um, creep, well, person. Um, when she goes to sleep, the, the, the wolves. Yeah. The... And when they go to sleep, they actually turn into wolves themselves. They leave their human body and sort of become wolves yeah. and run free through the woods and stuff. Um, and Maeve, like, Maeve's a great example actually of why I love it so much is that like when she when she looks like a human being, she has all that. The way our character is designed is that she looks like a wolf even when she's not one. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, like you know, like she has um, these sort of big bridge marks up her nose like they're kind of brown and grubby and stuff like that but it looks like a dog's snout kind of thing yeah. like you know little things like that I really enjoy she has a bite out of her ear <laughs> and then when she actually turns into a wolf that bite's still there like little things like that I really enjoy um, yeah. and it just looks so good like it just looks really good I know it's so beautifully drawn like yeah. it's uh, 
yeah, the art the artwork put into it is uh, it's beautiful. It is really good. Um, and like even the transformation scenes mm. are like really cool in it and stuff. And so it's based around like like the weird friendship between the two of them because obviously one thinks that the wolves should be hunted and yeah. the other one's trying to explain why they aren't the problem here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was a great film. Very feel good. Very family orientated and friendship oriented and it was uh, yeah it was just a lovely yeah. little uh, I just like cartoon sleep movies um, always really have like since Song of the Sea I've always been a big mm-hmm. fan of them um, it's just one of those things where you know I always say it because it, it, it drives me wild and I'd happily put it on my list just so that more people get to hear about it because as much as I love Disney and Pixar and stuff like we're probably going to have to end up talking about the new Pixar one anyway it's that I just I want people to realise that animation is not just a medium for children, like, anybody can watch it, anybody can enjoy it, you don't have to be a child to, you don't have to watch it with a kid to justify yourself watching it and enjoying it, like, these things are made just as much for anybody else as they are for children, and that there's so much more creative stuff you can do with animation outside of the usual. Yeah. Um, next up, here we go, uh, well, we're not going to talk about this one too long, um, it's actually crazy forgetting that it was this year. Um, because it was so, so long ago. It was the last trip we made to the cinema before lockdown, mm-hmm. and we actually done a whole episode on it, and it was the Invisible Man. Yes, uh, so obviously we won't talk about it massively because yeah. it's done a full episode, but yes, incredible film as well. Um, we've spoken in detail about that uh, in another episode, which you can obviously find, but uh, yeah, that has to be on our list because it, is, it was an incredible film this year. Uh, next up. This is just a particular one for me because, like, again, it's not anything groundbreaking. It's not going to change the world or anything. I don't even know if it's going to become like a cult thing in a few years. But I just know that I liked it because it appealed to a lot of my tastes. And it's Underwater with uh, Kirsten Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Um, very like going into it, you sort of you know what you're getting going into. Yeah. To to an extent, but it is a film underwater. Yeah. And even though there are other horror elements to it. A lot of the elements of the horror is the fact of being trapped. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a place that's so deep, deep down underwater that if anything was to happen, yeah. it's well, they don't know. You have to sort of work out what you would do in that situation. Yeah. But uh, even just the thought alone like, gives me shivers. It's, yeah, it's and very... like, again, it's not anything like crazy good. I mean, it just appeals to a lot of my taste because I like I like water horror. That sounds stupid, but like. I don't like the ocean. Like I'm scared of the ocean, yeah. and I'm scared of what could be at the bottom of the ocean. And um, so underwater is that kind of thing where it appeals to me because I'm also an alien fan, and I'm also like kind of a weird fan of like people, like not even I guess you could say it's a horror thing, people being trapped in places and trying to get out. Yeah, very that's claust- how it it's starts. so claustrophobic. Yeah. Like the yeah, it's that that feeling. Like oh, it's, I can yeah. like feel it thinking about it. The claustrophobia of being, and a lot of it, which um. I won't spoil exactly what happens, but there's a lot to do with like pressure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That yeah. Of, of deep underwater, which like, gives me the absolute heebies. Like, because yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, for the first like thirty to forty minutes, I reckon it is kind of a straightforward escape movie. Like, it's like a disaster like, movie. Disaster movie yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they're um they're on this like drilling platform, like close enough to the bottom of the ocean, and something goes wrong, and they have to get out. So it's like you know the machines start failing and things mm-hmm. are breaking down and like things are collapsing and blowing up or whatever so it's like you know a straightforward kind of escape movie and then it starts to transform the more it sort of goes yeah. along trying to sort of get out of where they are to yeah to somewhere else it's, it's Cause then it getting turn, from one place to another yeah because then it starts acting like alien because then, <laughs> then it starts acting like aliens which is like 
a good thing like there's the the weird parallel that people always talk about like you don't know what's in outer space yeah but you also to the same depths don't know what's at the bottom of the ocean ocean, like we'll never know which is both very scary ideals but yeah it works just the same as it would a space like this movie would work in space yeah absolutely and like the same concept that a space movie does work very well underwater i'm glad that it works i'm I'm glad that it's underwater because it's different um it's a shame because it's one of those things as well where it's um it's clearly i think it was a it was something that fox were releasing and then I think it just kind of got tangled up in the weird kind of bio with Disney and stuff. So it kind of got unceremoniously released in cinemas, like very little actual screens or show times or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we so managed to, we to just it. sort of got a chance to see it, but it was in and out of the cinema so fast. Yeah, um, but it was good. It was good. I really enjoyed it. And again, like, I know it's in my top ten, but it's like, only just really because it's just my kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes no, that's I, like really I, I really loved it. Like, yeah. I thought it was so well done and it's, I love that won't spoil it too much but it's very Lovecraftian yeah absolutely um, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is super cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I reacted quite strongly sort of towards it. and I remember you actually like looked at me because I went oh, like you know like sort of towards the end it was really really good you do love sort of like again it's hard to not spoil it but when something that's in it turns out to be really cool yeah, and really yeah. well done it's like oh my god that's yeah. like, the payoff is uh, wor- worth it yeah, when it is it's just rad yeah um, next up um, is the personal history of David Copperfield? Mm, yes, um, which... very lovely little film. Yes, absolutely. Um, um, we sort of just—I think we watched it. Well, I, I, we kind of—we wanted to see it. It wasn't something that we were going to rush out to the cinema to see, but we knew at some point. No, we knew. I think it. the time that we watched it, I think we were just kind of looking for something new to watch. I remember, I think we seen the trailer for it in cinema at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I might be wrong, but I'm sure the reason that we actually ended up watching it was because a couple of weeks before we watched um, The Death of Stalin, which yes. is from the same director, yes. um, Armando Iannucci, and mm-hmm. we'd done like, The Thick of It and stuff like that as well. And uh, we really we really enjoyed um, Death of Stalin, yeah. it just so happened that the personal history of David Copperfield came out, so we gave that a go. Um, and I thought it was going to be good, I didn't actually end up, I didn't, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, yeah um, same. Obviously, it's based on David Copperfield, um, the Charles Dickens book, um, and it's about him sort of just going through. It's just the personal history, really. It's just yeah. going through his life and his his loves and his fallouts, and his uh, sort of not rise to fame, but just sort of rise to you know um, financial security. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also just got like a jam packed cast. Oh, the cast is so just you. You know, like even when you see the trailer, like, you're like, oh, this has got a fantastic cast, yeah. but. Even though we know they're all fantastic, like they just work so well they do. together. They do. Um, you can sort of—it's one of those rare things where, like, you know, when you can watch a movie and sometimes you can tell when, like, maybe obviously not the people behind the scenes, but you can tell the actors on screen all clearly enjoy working together yeah. because their chemistry it's as so characters nice. works so well, um, and it's just so genuinely refreshing and very funny. Like, you know, um, he goes, um, Dev Patel plays David Copperfield, and he goes through the entire movie like just meeting lots of people like making friends or relationships or whatever and making in, in one case he makes an enemy um who's played by um guy's name ben wishaw yeah he's <laughs> just the dorkiest bowl cuttiest loser ever but even like he by the end is oh, a good guy as well um he lives with um peter capaldi and his like adopted kids and wife and stuff for a short period of i movie. absolutely and i like i always love a uh, peter, peter capaldi yeah and then um, was it he goes to live with um, his aunt, 
who's Tilda Swinton, mm-hmm. and, and then Tilda Swinton's husband is a Hugh Laurie. Yeah, it's Hugh Laurie. And he likes flying kites and stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just so sweet. Yeah. Like, like, it's, oh, it's just so, I, I keep using the word lovely, but it's it just is, such yeah. a lovely little film. And um, just all the tiny little elements, like like the flying the kites and stuff, yeah. it was just there. Uh, it's very sweet, um, but it's also genuinely funny. Whereas, especially coming from the guy who'd on the thick of it, you would kind of expect that a large amount of the comedy would be a little bit crass. But it's yes. actually, it's genuinely funny without really crossing into anything yeah, stupid. It's just, it's very sharp. It, that it's everyone can enjoy. Mm. Like, it's not just the sort of film that's going to brush past some people. Yeah. And others will find it funny and some won't. But it's, it's just a genuinely yeah. humorous film. And something I said at the time as well, um, which I'm just going <laughs> to... I was waiting over. for you to say this. What's that? <laughs> Were you going to say it was supposed to be the year of... Uh, the year of Dev Patel. Well, actually, no, I wasn't going to say that, but I mean, this was supposed to be the year of Dev Patel. I love Dev Patel anyway. But no, it, uh, sort of on point with what, what I was going to say was that, um, you know, we live in an age now where um, literally any right wing neckbeard weirdo online is like, diversity in movies and stuff is wrong, whatever, like stuff like that. Um, and you know that there's going to be someone out there who's like, why is this movie set in like 1800s got so like why is there Chinese people why is it whatever like you know Benedict Wong who's a Chinese actor remember right his daughter is um, African American African English and it's like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter the point is they're just people like you know it doesn't draw attention to the fact that it's it's a very diverse and multicultural cast and that's great yeah and they don't bring any like they're not playing towards that they're literally just like no like it shouldn't matter it's just these it's, are just characters. Exactly, Why are you yeah. questioning it? Like, um, and I just like that. I just really, really respect that. Because um, I think that there's almost like, I don't know, some weird kind of unspoken... In fact, we're kind of seeing it right now. With, um, there's that popular show on Netflix right now, that Bridgerton thing. Oh, yes, yes. And um, people are complaining that, oh, oh, in, the, in that period, you wouldn't get... And I'm like, well, it doesn't... It shouldn't matter. Like, we can. It's not rewriting history because we know what history yeah. was like. But we can also just enjoy fiction and... Even if it is that, especially the fact that it's fiction, like yeah. wh- why is why are you questioning it? it? Like it is. Um, and David Copperfield gets points for me for that exact purpose because mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like you're not just getting a multicultural and sort of diverse cast; you're actually just getting a good cast of just strong actors. Like Dev Patel is a good actor, mm-hmm. Benedict Wong is a good actor, everyone else in the movie is a good actor or actress. Yeah. It doesn't matter, like you know, what their um, ethnicity is um, or you know the historical accuracy of the piece is literally just about that these people are just very talented and good at what they do and they play the character as well it's as yeah. simple as that and I'm, not, I'm going to stop talking about it there before <laughs> I strike, strike up any controversy um, um, again I kind of a similar thing with um, Wolf of Snow Hollow and Wolf Walkers I've put these two right next to each other and I don't think it was intentional <laughs> uh, my next top film of the year is Emma yeah. um, Emma is based on Emma which is also based on Clueless. I'm just joking, but you know, Clueless is <laughs> Clueless is an adaptation of Emma. So we're all, if you've seen Clueless, you're familiar with the story, I guess. Um, this is just Anya Taylor Joy just being probably one of the best actresses we have right now. I, I just really like Anya Taylor yeah. Joy, and we also watched The Queen's Gambit with her recently, which is excellent. Um, I don't really feel the need to synopsize Emma because it's very straightforward. You know, yeah, it's very straightforward. I think it's Jane Austen. Oh, bet I'm sure it's Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, and it's just I don't know why it's in my top 10 I'm really not entirely sure I think it's just because it's so fun and heartwarming and once again it has a good cast as well yeah. um, and also just that uh, I sort of complain about this constantly but it's just that um, I feel that we strive a lot for diversity and you know um, ethnicity and stuff in our movies and but at the same time it's like we can't have more than one almost 
almost like we watched Little Women recently as well. I watched Little Women this year, and Little Women was really good. Um, it was directed by Gary Garwick, and it was good. But then we watched Emma, and I just preferred it. And yeah, it's, it's like, but nobody really wanted to talk about it because it's not Greta Gerwig and it's not Little Women and Little Women is like the flavour of the month and flavour of the year for a lot of people and that's fine because it's a good movie mm. but I just feel that like Emma is also a movie directed by women that's based on a book written by women that's based on a classic story that you know people really enjoy and nobody was really talking about it to the same extent and it just kind of annoys me that we can have a lot of talent but it's like we don't want to address it we need to have just one thing mm. and Emma for me was just it was something a bit different yeah. And it was funny. Um and just generally just very enjoyable. Um and cute cast. Yeah, sorry, I was just thinking about the <laughs> joke that kind of includes Emma and Little Women as you were saying, uh, in a death to twenty twenty about the Oscars. Oh yeah, what was that? About just how every film in the Oscars is just a white cast. Obviously yeah, just yeah. a film with white women and um yeah, but <laughs> anyway, Emma's not much better because Emma is a cast full of white women. No, that's or, or it, white people in general. Yeah. But like you know, again, like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just like you know, it's it's nice to see women directors and stuff. And it's like, I just I feel that we we need a lot more for just women to just do whatever. In fact, the next one we're going to talk about is also directed by women and it's written by women, mm-hmm. women as well. And it's like you know, it doesn't have to be like Patty Jenkins directing Wonder Woman or like. Um, I think it's two women that directed um, the Black Christmas remake with an entirely all female cast. Yes, yeah. It is always. I feel like if there's, we ever if Hollywood makes us focus on a movie that's like sort of fronted by women, it's always movies about women. It doesn't ever have to be that way. No, no, no. I just kind of like that. But um, you know, it's just it's good to point out when people have done something new and interesting. No, no, it doesn't no, always no. have to be the same. No, no, no. Um, um, no, it was an enjoyable film, uh, and as I say, I, I preferred it as well over Little Women. I think yeah. it was. Um, I think not, not that there was anything wrong with Little Women like, no. it, was fi- it was fine but I think I enjoyed it a yeah. lot more I think um, it <laughs> it probably helps a lot more that um, Emma is um, also straightforward structurally um, whereas Little Women um, jumps back and forward yeah. in time quite a lot it's not, a con- not Little Women's not a confusing film to follow but like you know sometimes it's like and it's sort of because it's got more characters kind of in Little Women you're yeah. sort of following the storylines of each character at the same time yeah. as, the, as the film goes on, whereas obviously Emma's just the one, so yeah. it's, a, it's a, lot, a lot easier to follow. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but um, no, it's just a, it's very heartwarming. It is, yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I think it was just a good day when we watched it. It was just a nice and happy movie. Yeah. Um, next up is She Dies Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what a movie that was. Um, that's great. Uh, written, directed, and st- I don't think it's, uh, it's starring, I don't know if she's starring in it, um, Amy Simetz. Um, who originally well there's a whole background story there with um, she worked with um, I can't remember his name for the life of me the guy who directed Upstream Colour and Primer and she was in Upstream Colour okay. um, and I think that she was eventually in a relationship with uh, that guy and um, she kind of spoke out about um, his sort of very poor behaviour and uh, potentially abusive behaviour and stuff as well um, and She Dies Tomorrow was kind of the the film to come out of well she released that statement shortly before She Dies Tomorrow came out. So whether She Dies Tomorrow has any kind of connection to those feelings and you know those kind of emotions and stuff, I'm not entirely sure. Um, don't want to give too much away, so I'll give a very brief synopsis. Yeah, it's it's, it's worth... It's I know a yeah. lot of these films who keep saying it's worth going in blind, yeah. but really, yeah, there's no... You don't want to give anything away yeah. for this. I will... I'll, I'll br- vaguely synopsize it, just because it 
I kind of want to talk about it a little bit, but I also need to just think what what the setup is. Yeah. So this main character of ours, whose name I actually can't remember, um, she suddenly becomes convinced that she's going to die tomorrow. Yeah. And when she explains this feeling to her friends, it starts to like catch kind of like a virus essentially. Yeah. Which and is funny because we actually just rewatched it. Follows. Yeah, very similar. And it's, actually, it's yeah. a similar yeah. sort of idea, which uh, is great. Yeah. Um, and so like I think that. With that plot synopsis alone, that was enough to get me kind of interested. So I was like, "That what an odd thing." Um, and you're, I think you would imagine that's a horror, kind of straight from the get go. Yeah. It, it is, but only in the way that it's like. I think I remember like when I finished, you were like, "Well, like that's essentially ruined me for days." Kind of thing. <laughs> and I think it's that kind of horror. Yeah, like, the, you know, that kind. Of, no, it's not. It's not in your face horror. Like no. it's just that. Yeah, existential dread. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's just, yeah, it's sort of like, as you see, like, how it affects her and, like, how it affects the people she sort of gets into contact with and stuff as well. And it's it's interesting because it's almost like everybody has a sort of different approach to dealing with it or yeah. how they address it. Um, and as it sort of, like, it starts branching off, so we see how it affects, like, people she's been in interaction with, but then she sort of goes on her own little journey and stuff as well. There's a very odd bit kind of in the middle where um, she actually I'm assuming it must be a cameo then um, where Adam Wingard pops his head out of nowhere, the guy who directed um, You're Next and The Guest yeah. and the rubbish Blair Witch movie and a couple of sections of VHS and stuff and that was really bizarre, he pops in as well um, really good and it's also like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good music in that as well, yeah. I can't remember the two guys that done the score for it um, but it was really good. There was also there's also a lot of like fun color stuff as well, mm-hmm. where like the sort of the realization that you're dying tomorrow is kind of met with this weird kind of like red and blue light show feeling, yeah. um, and it's really cool. Um, it's just yeah, genuinely a very cool movie. Uh, lots of good music and a really good ending too. Um, yeah, and a really cool concept. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always good to sort of. I mean, don't get me wrong. You got you've got the sort of horrors that work off the same concepts that have been for years and years and years like your slashers and blah 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 blah. but it's always nice to like go in and watch a horror film that has like a really new bizarre concept to it and that and it's great to see it working well which sort of pushes other people to it's also very down but it's down to earth in terms of horror because the horror itself is something very natural and normal um which is weird because it's presented as if it's like maybe something that's like kind of other world that you're strange but it's actually just very moral like yeah. you know which is kind of what the, the most terrifying parts of it is yeah. it's just the how kind of real the yeah actually all is yeah super enjoyable movie mm-hmm. um also well kind of short as well it doesn't overstay as welcome it's over quite quickly i think it's only like an hour and 30 like on the dot maybe yeah i'm um, sure it was yeah and should we do n- next up then we ready for the top pick yeah i think we i would i was still swaying like i said that um I, I really loved Come to Daddy and The Lodge, and I did say that The Lodge probably was going to be my film of the year, which probably would maybe be joined with this, but I do agree that, no, this probably was the best film this year. Yeah, I mean, this was probably, I think, not it wasn't the first movie we watched this year, but it one was definitely, it was yeah. one of the first, if not the first. We were really wanting to see this movie. Yeah. Um, and well, I, yeah, I remember, I remember, right, you weren't particularly fussed. Oh, I wasn't, no, that's true. Um, Until I seen it, and then I was, like, blown away, but yeah. um, it was more Connor, was yeah. really looking forward to see it. So I knew we were going to be watching it as soon as it came out because Connor was wanting to see it. It was funny because we, we actually got the trailer for it in um, 
in LA and the Alamo Draft House. Oh, so we did, um, yeah, yeah. And that, although I'd heard of the film at that point, um, we've seen the trailer and I remember we've seen thinking, posters as well. Yeah, and I remember thinking, wow, this is a bit weird. Like, this isn't really what I was expecting, like from the title and what everybody was yeah. talking about it. Um, and then it sort of finally came out. It came out in 2019 in America, but it only came to Netflix over here in the UK in 2020. Um, and so to sort of catch up and to, I, I got excited for it kind of quickly and then to catch up I watched the I don't think it's their first movie I think it was their second movie um, the one before this one to get myself ready for it and then you watched that film after we watched this yeah. other one and I, I enjoyed it as well yeah. so, so um, the, my, our both our number one pick for 2020 is Uncut Gems by yep. the Safi Brothers uh, no competition really I mean there was a lot of things that were close but um it was always going to be Uncut Gems for me. I don't really think there was any doubt in my mind at You all. knew straight away when yeah. you seen it. It was kind of... I knew it was great when yeah. I'd seen it. Um, but obviously, like I'd said it, the, the Lodge, when I watched it, that I was going to be... Yeah. But then the more I think about the year as a whole, was the same way as you went in and you were like, straight away, you were like, this is my film yeah. of the year. Absolutely. Um, you just sort of know when it happens. And I was surprised that it happened that early. Because at least at the time, there obviously wasn't anything else really out at that time. So I said, like... This has the dubious honour right now of being my number one film of the year. And everything else is really good. Um, There's a lot of other really good movies and stuff, and God knows it was close. But um, Uncut Gems, just, yeah. Like, it's not even the Safety Brothers' first movie. Like, I think it's their third, so I think their first one was maybe a documentary or something. Um, I've got their, a feeling that is, yeah. yeah, yeah. And their second was um, Good Time, yep. which I watched in anticipation for Uncut Gems, and you watched after. After, which. Um... To be honest, like, because we talked about, we've talked about Uncut Gems before. We talk, we've talked about um, potentially doing, like, a another sort of series on this podcast yes. of like like um, actually what's, talking about yeah, like yeah. future what we consider are going to be like future cult classics mm-hmm. kind of things we even talked about maybe doing Good Time and Uncut Gems as like a as one and of our regular double features we, pro- we probably will like we, we might do a, a long episode mm. with both because uh, I think they are worth talking about together because yeah. they are they do they work very well together mm-hmm. but Uncut Gems is like such a good point of elevation for the pair of them because it's the way that I sort of see it is the same with Good Time as well is it, remind, it reminds me a lot of like um, Martin Scorsese movies from the 70s mm-hmm. kind of like crime movies but we'll just call them petty crime movies but just before um, we go any further because I will say it's worthwhile because obviously you mentioned that you'd seen Good Times first yeah. and I hadn't so you kind of had an idea of how weird things can get yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas I went and not not yeah. known how bizarre things can get in these films, um, and then sort of it made when I watched Good Time be a bit like more oh, okay. Like, yeah, like, that's the style. <laughs> if anything, it, yeah, it might be worth watching Good Time first to get an idea of kind of like what their style is because it's very particular, and I can't imagine that it's going to be for everyone. It's not like, well, I mean, when I say it's not for everyone, it's worth prefacing that Uncut Gems, like, is a movie where admittedly not an awful lot happens but oh my god like my blood pressure was so high <laughs> like you know and it's not it's, it's not edge of your seat no, it's just it's, it's so anxiety inducing there's like, so much like cringe yeah there's like, a lot of cringe a lot of cringe that makes yeah as you yeah. say your anxiety is even a lot of, the roof not even like, cringe a lot of the time as well like oh, it's just a sense of impending urgency um, and also just like you know you can watch a lot of films with like you know less than good protagonists mm-hmm. it's like I don't get I don't like when people make criticism oh, the main characters aren't likeable the main characters will ever have to be likeable no. and um, um, oh what's his name again it's not Huey is it 
I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's not. A, he's not a good person. He, the guy's an absolute moron. But like sometimes the the most anxiety-inducing things in this movie are just watching him work. Oh, his decisions. Yeah, it, and just like, his pure decision making. There's so yeah. many bits, and I remember just sitting, and it's like, obviously, I don't want to ruin like the film, but there's a lot of bits where you're like, why are you doing that? Like, oh my god, please, like, don't. Which obviously is in good time as well. Yeah. There's a, it's the same sort of thing, but. Um, I guess yeah. we should actually like the general plot of Uncut Gems again because there's no spoilers in this one anyway, um, and it's worth just watching. Um, but the general setup is that it's actually Howie. That was his name. Howie, that's it. Yeah. Um, Howie, um, played by Adam Sandler, played fantastically by Adam Sandler. Oh my god, a hundred percent. Like this, if anything comes out of this, like the one thing that I just wish is we will give Adam Sandler more like well, bizarre, he's, bizarre. I think roles. that's more him choosing yeah but I hope that this is sort of a, a new coming yeah. of him because it, he, he always plays can, this yeah. no I'm not saying that he hasn't no, but course, yeah. this is a fantastically yeah. like oh so well done like so well played by him yeah and he uh, runs a jewellery store um, and he's you know got money but he's not got money he makes a lot of bad decisions he ends up getting a hold of a very rare opal yeah. um which he gives to basketball player Kevin Barnett is like a on loan because it would like, bring him luck in, yeah, in, yeah. Ba- in basketball games he's got upcoming, um, and that kind of kicks the whole thing off. And it's essentially just him just getting more and more into debt to the wrong people yeah. at the wrong times, making bad decisions, making bad bets, and trying to like just constantly, constantly like scrape to get by and to like get on the While right side While also of like making bad decisions yeah. with his family. Oh god, yeah, well, yeah, like yeah, just like... general stuff that, yeah. that there's a, a great bit with a, is it like a recital or a... Oh, it's his, um, it's his kids um like school play or school something. School play, yeah. there's oh my, and just he... things like in that <laughs> and it's oh my god just stupid things as well as the debt and the bad decisions just yeah. going on and, and it's, it's like the, the movie enforces it constantly like you know it's like it's one of those things I just really appreciate where there's like there's detail in everything where like even um there's a bit where he uh, it's actually the bit where the weekend shows up for <laughs> which also like just great yeah, little cameo great on the film from the weekend um, but he like uh, Adam Sandler like goes to this club where the weekend's playing and he walks past this guy who we hadn't actually met before in the movie um, and he says, "Oh, Howie, um, did you sell that um, that Jesus uh, the the crucifix necklace that I gave you?" And he was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that's coming through soon." Literally, only twenty minutes beforehand, we watched him pawn that same necklace off yeah. for money for himself, and that's just one quick little scene but it just literally shows you just how genuinely fucked this guy oh, is he's got a finger in every pie he's, he's, he's just... also like i feel like he's making decisions so like so often that yeah. you can't even keep up with the, the, like uh, yeah how much debt and like he, he he does things like pawns things off to cover some debt and then that causes more debt to something else yeah. and it's it's like this horrible spider web of just like all the horrible decisions he's making just to sort of catch his own tail yeah. like to get back to like and all you're wanting throughout the whole film is just to get him to like a normal balance of yeah. like out of this terrible debt which the impending doom of that and then the decisions he makes from that is just oh yeah yeah um and just also um great score as well by um any thrix point never um, yeah. who also done the score for um good time as well 
um, just a really like a very odd dreamy soundtrack um, to at times just a fucking fever dream of a movie as well like again it feels weird that it's my number one choice because there's not really an awful lot that happens in this movie um, it moves at a good clip as well there's no real slow pacing or anything like that it moves quickly yeah. you don't ever you're never bored through it like no because there's always something happening and to be honest like even if there isn't anything happening um it really just can't be understated just how good adam sandler actually is yeah like you know um again speaking about like unlikable protagonists and stuff like he is a bad character you're not really supposed to like him but you are supposed to kind of like start rooting for him by the end and that is effective because it works because in like the last scene like we were genuinely sitting on the edge of our seats kind of rooting for him at the end yeah. and then it just sort of all comes together with an absolutely like terrific ending oh well. my god yeah um yep. just a really good movie and i already can't wait to see what the Safety brothers do next um because to be honest like if they hit a third one with like good time on cut gems and it'll make a triple bill like if it's anything like that to be honest um, and I, I really to be honest maybe today or another time but i would love to rewatch it again yeah absolutely because um, so much is going on and it is like uh, even just little things in the background oh absolutely i feel like the safety brothers could make a very effective movie about 2020 um in yes, terms of just yeah. how much like you know i would love to see them just make a movie about someone who tried to go to the supermarket like to get like toilet roll and pasta like back when people were like um, panic buying and stuff they could make a great movie oh they could make that. a fantastic movie but they that. could make like this is kind of the thing it's like i actually want them to make a horror movie now because they can do so well just just a like general yeah, yeah. and the thing is i keep calling them like crime movies it's petty crime like it's in good times that was literally petty crime like these people are pathetic like yeah. you know um but i think it i don't know like when i sort of compared it to the movies like scorsese from the 70s is kind of that way and just in terms of it, it's like it's on it's on a street level kind of thing yeah but these are almost kind of like you know in terms of like a postmodern take is that the people are just pathetic like they're yeah. so sad and they're just losers like even if like um for all the shit that like Robert Pattinson and stuff goes through good time it's like you know he, he sort of has a good cause a good intention for what he's doing his crime stuff for but he's still just a shitty person. Yeah. Um, and and could, he dug himself into the hole And you could himself. even argue that he actually doesn't even really care that much either. Yeah. Um, but then that we're talking about good time now, so I, you know, watch both. But honestly, Uncut Gems. Um, yeah. Best. We, best. We, we will do um, a, a, an episode with both and talk actually in detail with spoilers, uh, in future definitely. So um, yeah, that's our, our top ten. But we do want to also talk about some other films that we watched this year. Yeah. So do you want to do like twenty twenty honorable mentions? Or do you want to do honorable mentions for outside the year, or do you want to do worst slash disappointing movies of the year? Oh, um, you could do while we're talking about good things. You could talk about the on- honorable mentions of things outside of the year for well, or no? Should we do twenty twenty first? Yeah, do twenty twenty first, and then everything um, outside. Because we, we, we have rewatched some older things as well as Connor's. Yep. Set. There's um, going to be a couple, I think a couple here that we can skip because we've talked about in our quarantine catch up yep. as well. Um, but we'll start off with um, honourable mentions for the year um, The Dark and the Wicked, which is actually something that we just watched very recently. Yeah. Um, that was a very good horror movie and I very much enjoyed it. Um, you sort of fell asleep um, sort of towards the end. Even I, I started drifting like, off a little bit. Because I, I, I feel like if. If I'd wa- I was just really tired, but um, if I, so I had watched it, I think that could well be on my top, like, very, very high on my um, list, because um, I think that is completely up my street for yeah. that kind of horror, um, so I am absolutely determined to watch yeah. that, and I'll probably 
be like gushing over it when yeah. I finally do. Yeah, I mean, because I'd like to rewatch it again as well, because like even I kind of started missing things towards the end and stuff as well. But it's a very, a very strong movie with a lot of good effective scares in it. Um, in fact, it's so effective. I actually remember just I'd woken up just before I was going to go upstairs to bed, and Connor obviously finished it, and there was a scene. That scene was scary though. And it absolutely to the point that I went to bed and I actually like yeah. had to sit with the light on for a bit because I was like, oh my, yeah. I can't get to sleep. It was horrifying. It's really good. It's a very good like southern gothic horror movie um, with a lot of, uh, once again, I'm sure that any film, 14 year old film bro coming back for you is going to say, oh, it's just like hereditary because it's got a family focus or whatever, you know. But it's a very good movie. Um, very surprising, kind of came out of nowhere, but yeah, happy to rewatch that again soon. Uh, next up is Relic, which is actually very similar. Yeah, um, Once again, I'm sure plenty of people are going to compare it to Hereditary as well, but just as a heads up, um, literally any horror movie that's got good acting and is about family doesn't have to be like Hereditary. It can yeah. be its own thing. Um, Relic is kind of, obviously, Hereditary is an obvious comparison, um, but it's very good. It's, it was a really enjoyable movie, mm -hmm. but I think more than anything, it was a very sad movie. It was. Um, which is probably why it worked as well as it did um australian if i remember right yeah um but yeah very very sad kind of upsetting horror movie um but also genuinely quite scary in a lot of ways as well um has the same thing um that i'm sure we talked about with the midsummer episode um talk because i can't talk i can't not talk about ari aster <laughs> is that um, if you actually want to have a character in your movie that is um, perhaps like disabled or mentally disabled in some way, then there are people who have those disabilities who are also actors and Relic has a character with Down syndrome in it. Yep. So don't just put a person in makeup to other people. Why don't you actually just get people who want to work and actually give them the representation? Yep. Relic does that as well, whilst kind of drawing a lot of attention to, you know, unfortunate and very sad sort of diseases and how destructive it can be like Alzheimer's and yep. um, stuff like that as well. I always think that, um there's films that sort of work with that, but I think Relic has done it so well because we watched recently um, the Taking of Deborah Logan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which sort of de deals with the concepts of like yeah, Alzheimer's as well. As yeah. well. But um, yeah, Relic was so well made and, and well yeah. thought out um, and genuinely, genuinely scary, but also just it's so sad. sad. Yeah, like, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely worth a watch. It is an incredible horror film. Yeah. Uh, next up, also kind of not similar in a way, but almost the same wheelhouse as Amulet. Yes. Um, which was also a very good movie, but also kind of sad in a way. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a it was a funny one. I remember enjoying it quite a bit. There's a lot of stuff to actually enjoy in it. Um, there's a great scene with um, a blocked toilet that reveals some whatever was blocking it, and you know you would think in a horror movie you'd be like, oh great, there's going to be something blocking the toilet. It's going to be something gory or weird. You'd never guess what blocked the fucking toilet in this movie. <laughs> um, funky body horror. Um, yep. Fun plot twists um, in terms of like you know our main character sort of plot related plot twists. Um, decrepit houses, weird characters. Just yeah, very very strange There's movie. There's something but very just very horrible about decrepit houses. Yeah, like, there is. Because it's, um, uh, it's a good signifier. You know what I mean? It's like. Funnily enough, this is also going to come up with the next one we're going to talk about. I was, I was actually going to say that, um, yeah. But that kind of theme is, is good for horror movies, I'd say. It's yeah. a good setup because, you know, a house is supposed to be like a safe place. Oh, yeah, no. um, Your home. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's a lot of. 
I, I a while back obviously went to see Mother in the cinema, and it was a lot of the horror in that for myself yeah. was the destruction of the home. Yeah. Um, there's just something about that that makes you feel uncomfortable because, as you say, it's like a safe place. It's a person's like house and home. Yeah. And it's yeah. Especially because um, amulets about. Um, I don't know if they ever really specify where the main character comes from, but he is an immigrant. Yes. Um, and you sort of see that he used to be in the the armed forces from where he was from, but then obviously emigrated to the UK, and he's like trying to find work. Um, and he actually gets given a very generous offer to basically just live in this house completely rent free so long as he starts doing it up um, to sort of look after the people who live there already yep. um, so you know it's, it's like an adopted house kind of and that sort of feeds into the sort of weird theme of the movie and stuff as well um, and yeah it's, it's good I really enjoyed it I it think as well if you're going to talk about the one that I think you're going to talk about next yeah. they do sit quite well together they have they common themes in both they do but it's actually it's not what I was going to talk about next, but it was the one afterwards. But because it pairs up, I'll just say it. So the next one we'll talk about for our mention is His House. Yeah. Which Netflix. is streaming, yes. Yeah. Which was a, a nice little find because, don't get me wrong, like we, we use streaming services and we've we've got Netflix and Amazon. We actually have Shudder yeah. specifically for horror, which when things come out in Shudder, we're kind of like look forward to watching it and we kind of hope that it will be good. But yeah. with Netflix and Amazon, it's not often something you'll come out on it and you'll sort of be taken aback but not don't get me wrong they've got a lot of good tv series and some good films but something like a a horror uh, coming out on it is uh we we didn't expect to enjoy it as much as um well what i was worried about more than anything and it's gonna make me sound like a terrible person but um i think i said it when we watched it as well but um I am really happy that Jordan, Jordan Peele is getting all the success in the world. Yeah. Um, he deserves it. Because um, Get Out was about as good a debut as you could get and also was about as good a follow-up as you could ask mm-hmm. for. Especially considering he came from a comedy background and stuff as well. Like, he has a respect for horror. And, like, you know, enough said. Like, you know, he's, he's a good director and he's a good guy. Um, but the biggest problem with, like, Jordan Peele's success is the the same thing that happened to with Del Toro, where it's, like, from the mind of... Yeah. credit on everything and then people sort of get tripped and thinking that he directed it um, and that he had more to do with it than he actually did yeah. um, or that now we have a lo- lot of people um, trying to replicate his sort of success and his style so, um, yeah. one of the ones that we've not seen that came out this year was Annabelle I was going to say that but was... apparently that's very bad apparently yeah um, and I feel like that we're getting into that state and even like with Candyman and like Candyman's not out yet but it's also not directed by him but the marketing would lead you to believe something else. Like, um, they've had to change the posters now to actually reflect that it's, um, I can't remember her name, but it's someone else is doing it's it. It's a shame, because it snubs out want, the people that yeah, are, like, exactly. actually direct. But he's the marketable But, thing. yeah. And what I was worried about with his house was that what we were going to end up getting was uh, a sort of movie with those similar themes, but, you know, in a Jordan Peele style, and that wouldn't have flown with me. But his house is a very unique experience because oh, it, it has that Jordan Peele flavour but it's literally when I say Jordan Peele flavour what I really mean is that it's just about the black experience in a way but what makes it different um, to a Jordan Peele movie is that it's, um, it's set in the UK and it's about immigration mm-hmm. and it's about this sort of very complicated and unhelpful ways with which um, the UK government tries to um, incorporate immigrants into society so. oh, it's, yeah so it's a, a it is such a bad thing in the UK as yeah. well and it's 
as much as this is a fictional film, it deals with like really yeah. real concepts yeah. and stuff, and the problem that this has yeah. on people and how unwelcoming like immigrants feel in the UK. Mm. It's such and, a massive part yeah, of it. And because at the at the start of the movie, it's like you know we we very briefly see our main characters are essentially um, um, fleeing from their own country, which seems to I don't think we specify where they're from, um, which is fine because um, you know it's, it seems to be that it's in the throes of some kind of civil war or something, yeah. um, and so they flee to the UK, and um, you can kind of see that like they have a, a weird sense of optimism sort of going in. They have the sort of interview about um, getting the getting housing. And they're sort of they're really optimistic about it, and they're like, "This is going to be the opportunity. This is what we need." And then when they get there, they kind of well, essentially, it's it's, it's a couple, but the the husband is determined that things are going to be okay, yeah. and that he's going to try really hard, and that he's gonna he's gonna like go to the pub and watch football with the lads, and he's gonna. There's even a bit where that he goes shopping, and he like um, he looks at like the pictures on the wall of like you know the family all together and it's like polo shirt 12.99 and like he buys exactly the clothes like that the man is wearing he buys clothes for his wife that the woman's wearing in the picture like you know because he wants that he wants that him. idealism and yeah. um, that almost nuclear family-esque kind of yeah. ideal that he's built up but the the horror aspect being that maybe the the dark side of their um the culture that they've left behind has kind of followed them over yeah. and that's where it wins for me that's what made it above a Jordan Peele movie yeah. just kind of being like racism this and racism that I'm not saying that in a bad way I don't mean it like that mm-hmm. but like you know it's um there's a lot to it and that is also just about you know where you come from and the culture that you um, bring like with that, you where yeah. you go um, it's not about like wearing the clothes of the people that you're trying to impress it's that you're this here. is part of you as yeah, well exactly. this is, it's not just going away it's yeah. and it's not something that you necessarily have to be ashamed of no, it's of course, something yeah. that you have to you have to take with you and yeah yeah have as part of you and it was excellent it was it was scary at times um had a good ending as well um yeah overall just yeah uh, it was it was a good t- it was a good surprise um didn't expect it and sometimes you just really need that <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and while you've got something like that on netflix you definitely should go out your way and try and watch um yeah yeah. definitely watch it and it's still it's not going off Netflix anytime soon yep. so go for it uh, next up uh, time for light stuff um, my next pick was Scoob <laughs> which um, we really enjoyed like well, it was I need to I need to be honest well, say like yeah. yeah I I've put this on my horrible mentions um, and I don't really know why because it was good it was maybe a bit too much but the the, the worst part about it was that there is there was a bit in it where like I felt this rush like I genuinely couldn't stop smiling and it was really it was at the start um, and I'd, I'd never felt like a nostalgic rush quite like it like you know and people say that all of them when Star Wars came back for the first time with like Force Awakens and stuff it was like that rush nostalgia there was that and that felt good but nothing quite felt like the start of Scoob when they do the Scooby Doo where are you theme song but mm-hmm. in, uh, in the new sort of animated art style and I felt like my heart like well up like you know because um, I was a big Scooby Doo fan growing up and stuff so it was so nice to see but I wish I could have seen that movie um, yeah. I wish I could have seen the Scooby Doo where are you movie in that art style because the art style was also very appealing um, yeah, yeah. I, I could have I watched that movie I could have just watched an hour and a half long version of Scooby Doo where are you because what we sort of got instead although it wasn't bad 
we kind of got like a Scooby-Doo MCU kind of mashup where like <laughs> it's like the Han- the Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe because Captain Caveman was in it Dick Dastardly and Muttley were like the bad yeah. guys in it and there, I'm, I enjoyed it it was good uh, but a part of me just wanted something a bit simpler yeah um, there's a lot I of pop that. culture jokes that have aged oh, in very yeah, they will, and they will continue to age awfully, yeah. but there there was this awful cringy, it's in the trailer I'm sure, so it doesn't matter about talking about it, but this bit with Simon Cowell. Oh yeah, yeah. and they just, sing um, Shallow by Lady oh Gaga. Oh god, it's just awful. Like, don't get me wrong, it is a kids movie, like if kids enjoy it and it's, yeah. you know, like funny for kids, but I feel like that was something that was put in there for me. Maybe the, the parents, um, I don't, I don't know. know, it's just a... Because I think, yeah, like, um, the pop culture, uh, there's nothing worse than a pop culture reference that's going to age in a couple of years. Yeah. And that means that it's good, that has already aged out more than ever could. Um, but I also think that, like, I kind of respect that clearly the people who made it clearly liked a lot of the Hanna-Barbera canon, because, like, they were like, well, you know, Dick Dastardly's in it. I'm like, that's yeah. great. Captain Caveman, oh, that's fun. And um, Blue Falcon, whatever. And that stuff's all great, but it's like... You know, there's even like there's a bit where they go to an arcade, and like, I think you pointed out there's a Hex Girls poster on the wall. Yeah. Um, there's a Hong Kong Fui arcade machine, and like that stuff is really cool. I yeah. like all that. I like that they clearly have a lot of respect for it, but I also just kind of didn't really want a big adventure movie. I kind of just wanted a Scooby Doo Where Are You movie that's kind of an origin story. You know, like you know, because that's essentially what it was. It was yeah. an origin story, but I kind of wanted it to be like Scooby Doo Where Are You. I wanted, I wanted the mystery machine. I wanted Mystery Incorporated, I wanted a ghost that they'd run away from. And I sort of got a taste of that. So like, although it's on my honourable mentions, I just wanted to, because it did look good. Um, you know, it had a lot, it did have laughs in it, and there was a lot of potential in there. But it's still a little bit disappointing, but I just wanted to mention it anyway. No, of course. And also like, get the original voice cast back next time. That's um, <laughs> what I will say. Yeah, it kind of throws you off of that. Like... It is a bit. The only original voice member in it was the guy who plays the voice of Scooby. Yeah. Um, will Forte was Shaggy, which wasn't bad, but you know, Matthew Lillard has been doing it for years, so yeah, just, just let, let him do it. <laughs> like, let Great Elise Griffin do it as well for Daphne and stuff. Like, you know, these people have been in work for them for years. Like, why would you change it now, even if it is? What does Zac Efron bring to the voice of um, Fred, really? Yeah. Nothing. Like, so let's just move on. <laughs> um, next up is, um, on my own adventures list, is Love and Monsters, which we watched recently as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, not much to say about it. I just, it's essentially a love story where, um, post-apocalypse um, where insects and some animals have grown very large and monstrous due to some kind of radiation thing and people live in bunkers and our main character has to travel across the wasteland to find his um, old girlfriend who's like miles away yeah. um, really simple setup um, kind of a sweet fun movie um, it was. But what it has going for it is just a lot of fun monster stuff which I'm really <laughs> just out for um, like it's, it sounds silly it really does when you explain it but like the giant creatures, like the giant millip- like centipedes, yeah, it's like a centipede or, yeah. are quite terrifying. Yeah, they are. Um, but they're just really cool. They're like the giant frogs. Yeah, there's a giant frog. There's a giant crab in the end and stuff, stuff as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, the snail was really cool because it was like a boulder snail, and mm-hmm. his house was like a big boulder. Um, yeah, there's not really an awful lot to it. It's just, yeah, sometimes you just need a little bit of levity and a bit of fun, um, which Love and Monsters has in spades. Really. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great. Um, guy and his dog travelling yeah yeah um, just really fun like they run into Michael Rooker along the way yep. 
and they have like a fun traveling together montage and stuff and it's just yeah like it's not anything groundbreaking but there was just a lot of really fun monster stuff in it which again is just the kind of stuff that I dig yeah. um, and it was just a good time it wasn't really time wasted which is why yeah. I've mentioned it next up um, probably going to be talked about a little bit more is uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music <laughs> which I'm surprised wasn't really in I'm surprised you didn't I yours. oh no I don't know I should have probably I probably would be in my top well, we can. Actually. I mean it's, uh, it's, as far as the honourable mentions list goes this is probably the highest honourable mention yeah. goes it's uh, probably well this would it's probably, probably be the on ultimate my top 10 because yeah. um, it's n- talking about nostalgia like yeah. I absolutely love horror like Bill and Ted yeah. it was such a thing when I was a kid um, and I just Oh, it just makes my heart warm, and I, yeah. it's one of those movies. Like I said, that when we watched this, yeah, I love a movie that is just a complete feel-good movie. Like yeah. you don't need. Fair enough. There's like a, a concept of like having to do something, but it never feels like too intense. If that no, makes no. sense, it's, like um, it's still it's so light-hearted and it's sweet. Comfort, yeah, Even and if it's there's just a ticking clock element yeah. in the movie. The the stake, you, at least you know that the stakes are never that no. high. No, and yeah. it's it's just always nice to watch something. You don't have to feel on the edge of your seat. Yeah. you can just sit back and sort of enjoy it. It was oh, it was just it was so good. It was very good. Um, I also because it's so many years um, gone by now. I I was a bit nervous about it. Mm. You know, not doing it like not going completely right. Because yeah, Alex Winter has been retired from acting for years. Yes. This is only just him coming back just for this, and he's probably like many people have already said it anyway. But he is probably the best part about it. Like, yeah. well, not the best part about it, but he's like actually for someone who's clearly not acted in. God knows how long, a couple of decades at least. He's just very good. Like, yeah. if any, if anything, Keanu Reeves feels like the odd one out a little bit. Um, <laughs> not that I'm saying his performance is bad, but I feel like I don't know. When people used to say that Keanu Reeves is all, not a good actor, he was just the woe dude guy. Yeah. I feel like that that wasn't ever really that true outside of Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it's probably the most true it ever has been with Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. Where, like he is just kind of an old man playing that character now and he doesn't feel like he is the character he's just playing it I feel like Alex Winter embodies yeah no I do get I do get that I know what you mean yeah Um, but again I'm not knocking that like it it's just it's the pair of them I mean they're they're exactly as we left them yeah which is so like you can completely tell that like they have enjoyed working together in the past and they really do enjoy working together yeah, and this is their passion but they've been looking to do this for years and years and yeah, years yeah it's just uh, yeah it's like, and I can, you get it because watching it is such a fun and enjoyable film yeah and you can completely understand why you mm. want to do another one and it's not for anything apart from that like feel good factor yeah and I think it you know it, it pays off a lot of jokes well I mean it's just generally very funny as well but it pays off a lot of jokes really well as well where like it completes the circle with um, who's Bill and who's Teddy What's that? Who's Bill and who's Ted? Uh, no, Ted is Keanu Reeves. Right? Ted's Keanu Reeves, yeah. yeah. So is it like um, Bill's brother marries... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like that joke comes full circle. Yeah. Um, and even just down to the fact that like it's their wedding at the start of the movie and um, they, the Wild Stallions play a song and it's like it's not even that it's like what you'd expect from Wild Stallions. They've been around for so long now. That they and they're, they're doing music. so much new stuff that they just play the, and it's actually kind of good <laughs> like it actually kind of slaps but obviously like you know it, that's a good joke that pays off like that works because like they've been around for so long and tried so much that now they're just throwing anything at the wall kind yeah. of thing um, trying to make the ultimate song yeah and 
Um, it's, it is really good. Um, uh, to be honest, my favourite part, and probably why I enjoyed it as much as I did, is um, I'm going to forget the other one's name, but Samara Weaving and the other girl whose name I forget, who play um, Bill yeah, and Ted's daughters. They make the film, which was kind of what I was a bit nervous about, was obviously bringing in two yeah. completely new characters to it. But they completely take over the movie, and yeah. they're so good, and they, they play good. the characters like just as well as like the original Bill and Ted. Yeah, and I yeah, it was they're, they're like I was worried about it as well because I thought it was going to be almost too much, but it kind of got to the point where I was like, right, that it, Bill and Ted face the music works well enough where it's like their their story is kind of story B, and story A is Bill and Ted's story. Yeah. Um, so and death. And uh, well, he only kind of appears like the last bit, but it's good to have him back. Yeah. Um, but I'd imagine that, like, for the, for if they were to do a follow up, they could actually have it so that plot A is for the kids and plot B is for Carrie yeah. and Dallas Winters. So they have a sort of reduced role. Yeah. Um, maybe they have to go and save them or something. I don't know. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It's essentially them just going through history just to get like the best musicians of all time. Um, and it's really fun because it starts off really quite simple. It's like is it Miles Davis first. Yes. Um. And then it's like Jimi Hendrix, and they're like Mozart, and then you know it just goes from there, and it's like they they go to one the great jokes. Well, no, no, so they like... start with Jimi Hendrix, and it's like, oh, who's your like inspiration? And they're like, and he's like, oh yeah, Miles Davis. So they go yeah. Miles Davis, and they're like, Miles, who's your inspiration? And they go from like one every single person is like, who inspired you? And then you know, um, so what that pays off, yeah. yeah. And then at the very very end, they you know do a big concert to like save the world and stuff. Uh, that sort of leads into my only real complaint is that the movie just ends. Um, after that they literally saved the world and they have the big sort of dance party concert thing and that was great because you cried at it and I, God knows I was close um, but it just it, like literally I think the, it's one of the kids that narrates it and it's like and they were destined to save the world and it literally zooms out on planet earth and it goes and they did and then just cuts to credits and I was like <laughs> I was like, maybe a little bit more would be nice, but that's it. But that kind of is like the Will and Ted movie. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just like they have their goal, and once it's done, it yeah. kind of ends, and that's yeah. you know. Um, but I still, I still loved it overall. It's just it was such a sharp cut to the end for me, and also that it maybe looks a little on the cheap side, but like honestly, that doesn't it, really matter. Yeah, no, like, it still um, works for it. Like it's... if it didn't have a lot of, I think the only bit that really struck out was um, when I don't that planet that they go to with like the on it you know yeah, it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff and like they, they go there and it's like very awkward where they're like clearly standing on like this very awkward green screen and they just have this like generic background behind them and there's like no life in it like there's no there's like a, there's, there's there's like water there but the water's not moving and there's no people in the background it's just a little bit empty yeah. and it shows itself up a little bit but honestly like if, if that's the only complaint it doesn't really matter like if they had to make it on the cheap, that's fine because they didn't want to. They shouldn't have had to spend millions of millions and millions no. millions of dollars making a new building. It probably movie. would have looked worse, I think, if they had spent. Do yeah. you know what? Making it a big, huge production sort of thing because that's not really what the film needs. To be honest, it's mostly just the characters that you're really that bothered about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as Connor said, like I cried. It was just, it was very hard. I was close, yeah, and I think like you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that. Have come out this year that people have turned around and said like this is really the thing that we needed for these unprecedented times i'm sick of people saying that but bill and ted probably was the truest that's ever been like it was the most optimistic and the most positive and uplifting kind of film this year yeah that sort of made like this year has been shit so well 2020 is 2021 where we're at right now 
um, but it was that kind of film where it was like right maybe it's not all bad then you know yeah. uh, it was, it was something that you wanted to sit, like we we watch a lot of uh, horror and a lot of a lot of it's bleak yeah and hard to watch and you feel a bit deflated and it's just sometimes nice to stick on something that makes you smile and makes you feel good and makes you want to like hug the person next to you yeah. and that's was sort of encapsulates yeah yeah it's kind of um, next up, well, the next four are actually ones that we've mentioned, and the first two are ones that we mentioned are quarantine oh, catch okay. up, so I'll just read them off. They are Birds of Prey. This is just my list of honorable mentions, by the way, like, you know, so. Um, so, Birds of Prey was one of my. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I really um, enjoyed it as well. Like, I, I actually thought Birds of Prey was. better. What, what am I trying to say? Suicide Squad, you mean? Yeah, well, yes, yes. So uh, obviously it was. Yeah, that's why I, I don't know yeah. where I was going with that. But yes, obviously, Suicide Squad wasn't great. But everyone knows that obviously Harley Quinn probably was the only really good part factor, of like yeah. Suicide Squad, um, and it made sense to sort of keep her on board. Yeah, you know, and to sort of they they knew that she was good after that. So yeah, why not give her her yeah. own film? Um, and I was a bit nervous about watching this because I didn't. <laughs> Obviously, I think a lot of people were after Suicide Squad to be like, oh god, how's this going to go? But it, they done it really well, and this was the perfect sort of thing to come out to it sort was, of yeah. redeem, sort of get some sort of working towards the new, obviously, yeah. Suicide Squad. This was, yeah, perfectly made. Yeah, and I think really um, enjoyable. it's up there with the rest of the actual good DC movies, so it's up there in like the pantheon with with to an extent the first Wonder Woman um, Shazam and Aquaman especially yeah. um, Shazam is like the top tier of the DC movies right now and the extended universe stuff that they're doing um, so happy with that and Birds of Prey is pretty close um, just because it has a good sense of humour and it has a lot of fun characters in it um, it is really funny <laughs> I still can't and a good, bun- good bunch of action scenes and stuff as well that actually know how to do action well um, uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor's a great, <laughs> a great villain. villain. The the greatest gayest villain ever, and I love it. Um, Harley Quinn is a, a Bernie bro, and um, there's my favorite bit ever is honestly just like <laughs> um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead um, just being so kind of like dorky and nervous about her like sort of vigilante persona. Um, <laughs> Where she like has to, you know, people ask her name and she's like the huntress. <laughs> it's like I love it. Um, I just absolutely adore it. Um, next up, the gentleman. We talked about that in our quarantine yeah. pod, uh, quarantine catch up. Um, good movie, pretty enjoyable. Um, it wasn't the best, but it was good to see Guy Ritchie doing Guy Ritchie stuff again, even if at times it kind of felt like someone doing a Guy Ritchie impression of a Guy yeah. Ritchie movie. And uh, shame about the racism, but yeah. Um, we also watched Rock and Roll not that long ago. Um, you'd never seen it before, yeah. and uh, I hadn't seen it in a while. And um, it turns out that that kind of casual racism and casual homophobia is in like all of these movies, which is very strange. It doesn't sit quite right. No, he needs to maybe just cut yeah, it out. Yeah, why, why he's still trying to do that is a bit yeah. beyond me. Especially Rock and Roll I'm not saying it's, an ex- it's not getting away with it as an excuse. Um, but for the time that it was made, it makes sense that it was there. But in 2020, with the why gentleman, are you still why doing is that? yeah, yeah like, 
It's not very nice. It's, that's not what I mean. It it just leaves a bad taste yeah, in your mouth. It it's like why is that? Well, why is it needed anyway? But yeah, why he's still yeah, trying to put passed... that in his films is just a bit. It's really awkward. Like I know, if anything, especially because like the the racist joke in question is directed obviously at a, at a black guy, and then they sort of they sort of okay it by being like, well, you are black, and he's like, yeah, fair enough. So it's kind of like almost like I don't know. It's a bit as you say, it's a bit of a bad taste thing. But, you know, otherwise, it's a pretty good movie. It's not his best comeback ever, but if it's anything close to just, like, you know, back to Guy Ritchie level snatch again, then I don't really mind. But, I mean, it's not that I don't, don't excuse the racism, that shit can go, but, like... Yeah, get, you know. get that in the bin. Um, the next was The Lodge and actually come to Daddy, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, so, next up, do we want to do worst slash disappointing movies we can just blast through very yeah, quickly? Yeah, because, obviously, we, I know this is a long long one um, it's yeah. over an hour now but if you're still with us we'll blast through some films that we yeah yeah this is my list of worst slash disappointing so i don't really have anything i'd say is my least favorite movie of the year um but these are just some examples i guess so first up is new mutants yeah um, uh, yeah i could see what they were going for but it was a bit weird it was a bit all over the place it literally started with the there are two wolves inside you um <laughs> Um, but they changed it to there are two bears how they you. had like exa- <laughs> the thing that gets me is like I said this how they have these great actresses play such a bad character yeah, yeah. it's like oh it's just so cringy it's we were so watching uh, Queen's Gambit at the time that we watched <laughs> it so it was a bit of a shame that we were watching like Anya Taylor-Joy at her probably her best and then we were watching New Mutants which is Anya Taylor-Joy at her arguable worst yeah um that accent the, as well. Oh, the, the no, just well. not even just that accent. The accents in this film yeah. are awful. Maisie Williams' weird Scottish accent is pretty rough as well. Yeah. And also, what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Jonathan in Stranger yeah. Things has like a Southern oh, American accent. They're all just such bad accents. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Like I again, I sort of dug what they were going for, like a horror movie thing. But then it was sort of an X Men movie, and then they sort of tied it into like they used the the weird secret hospital footage from Logan to tie it into like the X Men universe. Okay. But then also the weird thing about X Men in general, this is something I don't like about a lot of Marvel comic stuff, um, is that like you know. But I mean, it gets complicated in the comics. It's like, oh, X Men are mutants. So what does that make literally every other character in Marvel, even though they're all in the same universe, kind of thing? Truly, that makes them mutants too, right? But it's that they stop being like traditional, like powers as such. If you know what I mean, like, like Maisie Williams can transform into a wolf, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like a normal, like what you'd imagine like a mutant power to be. But what the fuck is Anya Taylor Joy's power in this movie? <laughs> it's like so she can grow like um, armor over one arm and then get a giant sword, and one of the soft toys she carries around is a dragon. And she can go into like another like realm or dimension through a wormhole and then bounce at the other side. So what fucking mutant power is that? <laughs> Same with the main character whose mutant power is that she can manifest people's dreams or something. Like it stops being a power and starts being like a fucking quantum physics. Oh, yeah, That's the kind of like, you like know, it's, yeah, it's X-Men's really at that anyway, but it, it gets stupid where it's like, I kind of just want superhero escapism and not like, oh, I can go into different universe realm or whatever it's just nonsense I don't like it um, yeah weird weird movie um, next up is The Turning <laughs> oh my god we don't even need to talk about yeah. this this is uh, based on one of our favourite it's based on Turn of the Screw yeah well, um, I was going to say one of our favourite stories yeah so oh, we, I mean we've seen uh, we've seen a play of it 
and obviously we've seen the films. Yeah. Um, Which, if you've not, are it's the Innocence. The Innocence is our favourite one. Our yeah. favourite one, and was there another one we watched that? Well, that's well, there's the a few, obviously. That's the thing, is that I actually put these together, because The Turning is a bad movie adaptation of it, um, and whether or not you find this bad or not, I don't know. I've met a couple of people who agree with me, but I've also met more people who disagree with me. But on my... And this is not a film, but I've put on my worst slash most disappointing things of the year is um, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also based on the same story as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just throwing these together because, like, I think we're probably going to talk about Haunting Bly Manor more. It's, do you know what? The, the most thing about Bly Manor it was just, oh my god, it's pacing. It's, yeah, well, not just that. The the fact that the first, the first series of well, the the first one was Hell House. Hell House was incredible. Yeah. Like it was so enjoyable, and Bly Manor it was so crap, and just. By the end, we were literally like having to force ourselves yeah, we did. to finish it just to get out of the way. Yeah, because the thing that I always say is that like I like ghost stories, but the thing about ghost stories, and I, I know I say this all the time, it's exhausting, but like ghost stories aren't about ghosts, they're what the ghost represents, the people they're being haunted by, or the people they're haunting is what I mean. Um, and so Hill House does that really well, but then with Bly Manor, what they sort of ended up doing instead was that they made it less about the ghosts and what it means for the people and they just made it more about the people as in like they're just sort of general day to day and what they're so it's, there's no real scares in it and the drama doesn't really land for me um, I get that people get really emotionally attached to it and they find the ending to be quite emotional I mean I thought it was kind of emotional I wasn't about to cry but I mean like it was it was heart stringy but then what follows that whole romance that prefaces the ending is like that really awkward scene where like the girl is talking to the other girl and it's like this is where I grow moonflowers. You can only grow moonflowers in a 24 hour period. They're so special and so rare. I need someone like that in my life. And I'm like, wow, this is so subtle. <laughs> like, no, I know, I know, I know. And I'm just like, it was, it was very on the nose. It was, yeah. Was, uh, but yeah, and that's... there wasn't any thrills. Not like, you know, like a, a episode like four or five of Hill House has that really good episode with the funeral. Mm-hmm. And it's the family all together for the first time that we've seen. And it all looks like it's done in one take, but obviously it's not. But it looks like that, and it just—it's scary, but it also feeds into the drama and like it the feeds drama into the, and the characters. Was so much better, and the character, yeah. the character arcs were a lot better, and all the emotional tugs on yeah, your yeah. heart were so much better in the first one, and it was scarier. Like Blind Manor yeah. was not scary. No, um, but saying that, they've confirmed now that there is not going to be a season three. Oh, well, uh, I don't know that's what good. that's for. I think Mike Flanagan has actually got another Netflix show coming, oh, okay. um, on top of probably doing another five films for Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see as it goes on. Uh, the next one, and this is this actually brings me no joy to say this. This, this is on my bottom of the list for the year. Is uh, Trained B- Busan Peninsula, mm-hmm. um, the sequel to a film we have it covered wasn't necessarily on this show. Bad. No, it wasn't bad. It was just it, was a this, bit disappointing this, this the because because. Trains Busan obviously is such an incredible film and we hold, hold it so highly um, and we've obviously spoken about it in a previous episode. We did. But, um, so we won't go massively into it but obviously you'll hear in that how much we absolutely adore the film. Yeah. So it was very disappointing to sort of... Yeah, I think when the trailer came out what I was really hoping for and what I dreamed it would be and what my ideal Train to Busan sequel would be was that it was kind of like Aliens slash Mad Max. So it had that kind of like, 
post 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 apocalypse setting for what we yep. already knew from Train to Busan. Um, so you have more of it, more action, a la Aliens, and also you have like Mad Max style yeah. fun along the way as well. Which is what the trailers that gave me the impression of, and I was like, great, I'm here for it because when you make a sequel and you go Aliens with it, then that that shit is so ham. Like, yeah. so I'm totally for it, and it was fine. Like, it was good. Um, just a little bit disappointing. It's, yeah. you know, there's not much I can really say. No, just, it's more like just if you if you watch them back to back, you yeah. you can completely understand why it is disappointing. It yeah. Yeah, like we watched Train to Busan like what twice, yeah. and like I remember who the main characters in Train to Busan were, but in the sequel, can't remember. Genuinely yeah. can't. Yeah. I remember there's a guy, um, two guys. But then one of them goes, I think he gets killed off or something. Or he has to save him? I can't remember. Yeah. But there's kids there, and one of them drives a car. Like, this is literally, I can't remember yeah, the like, characters. It's, it's, like, they yeah, don't the, have that appeal. No. The the characters don't... Whereas in, like, literally trying to, like, the first one, I remember, you get emotional over yeah, the characters. Absolutely. And not necessarily the, the, the main guy, but just everyone else around them. And, yeah. like, it really tugs on you. Whereas this, you don't feel so attached to the characters. That it doesn't really matter as much what happens to them because you don't feel yeah, exactly. like any particular way about them. It's yeah, but anyway, that is uh, probably yeah. I agree. Most disappointing film year. Have yeah. you got much more on your? Uh, only a couple more. Um, next one is actually Onward, but I feel like we maybe talked about that in our quarantine catch up. Yeah. But I think we did. Um, I just didn't really like it that much, but that's because I have a big problem with um a sort of bunch of recent Pixar movies but that also leads me back into the fact that I've neglected to mention my honourable mentions was uh, Oh yeah, Soul. yeah. Soul. Soul was actually for once a nice new yeah. little very Pixar good. film to come out um, yeah, great music yeah very good music I think like uh, I sort of said this when we watched it but it's like you know I um, don't have any problem with the movies Pixar are making now they're all still very good Onward was still good um, and you know the same with Toy Story 4 it's like they're fine and they still somehow make me like a bit weepy at the end but like they're just serviceable like that's yeah. it's like they've got it down to a fine formula that they can just put it out there and it's the same story every time essentially and they know they're going to get the same reaction every yeah. time but Soul was like um, because well, it was directed by Pete Docter who'd done Inside Out who, which is arguably the last sort of like closest to like peak Pixar film yeah. that Pixar had made and Soul I think borrows a lot from Pixar, I think I guess a little bit uh, Pixar borrows a lot from Inside Out, yeah. yeah. Um, and also maybe gets a bit mum- muddled up at the end with like how it wants to end. Um, but I mean, God, I was close to like absolutely bawling at the end of it, yeah. and it's also just a fun movie with uh, an interesting message. Um, but I also kind of fills you with a what am I doing with my life? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was good, and the music was really good. As you say, I just forgot to mention it in the honorable mentions. Yeah. I just wanted to say that onward was fine. It's okay. Uh, again, it made me sort of cry at the end, but it just I, I think all, a lot of Pixar movies all kind of blur together. Um, yeah. And you know, every they don't do the after hit that they used to back in like the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, next up <laughs> is Mulan. I'm not even going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even worth talking about. No, it's not worth talking about. Um, it is. St- Stupid. I am. Um, I actually watched a great review of it, talking about why it doesn't work, and it's just the the, the character development in it is not there. Was like, that the thing we were watching the just right thing? Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't. You have no attachment to any of the characters in this film because no. they just they. I, I don't know. It just come like yeah. I don't know what they were doing, but like even like as it says in that um that we were watching the other day. 
the the relationship with the dad, yeah. um, which is a, such a massive part of the original Mulan, um, just wasn't there. And no, it's, it's not. So from the, the, the start of the film, you you have no sort of build up to what you're rooting for. Really. Yeah, and no. Yeah, or just... It's, oh, it's, yeah. A, a colleague of mine at work was talking about it and he was like, have you seen it? I was like, oh yeah, I watched it the other day. He was like, what's it like? Because he was like, it's one of my favourite Disney movies. And I was like, well, I agree, because the original is one of my favourites yeah. as well. Um, and the best way I could think to describe the remake was that like if you're like me and you're a total weep and you like your shonen battle animes like I'm talking like Bleach and Naruto or Hunter x Hunter or My Hero Academia like stupid shonen battle shit where it's like they have superpowers or magic powers of some kind but it's like based on a power level (laughs) and then this it's like it's chi or ki or something yeah and it's like and it's not needed no it's why not are you, why, they don't why, make any sense but it's like she has powerful chi and she can jump like really high that and she, she does it herself exactly she doesn't need these powers but yeah. I, I'm gonna just can yeah. we just back we're gonna up? stop talking about Mulan um, we're gonna talk about an even better Disney film that came out this year and this is only the second last um, film of the worst disappointing list and it's at Artemis Fowl <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Either. Yeah, Artemis Fowl is just, just garbage. Yeah, it's just a bad movie. I mean, we we weren't watching it. We didn't we didn't go into it. We watched it, it for a laugh. We watched it for a laugh. Um, we... Disney Plus didn't want want us to watch it because it kept glitching <laughs> and fast forwarding through it. Um, but is like, it to say just don't bother? Yeah. Like, um, but what I will say is that. Um, I mean, if you're wanting a laugh, like yeah, go absolutely. ahead. It was uh, definitely of, gave us a laugh. There's a lot but... of funny stuff in it. I think what more than anything is the reason I probably wanted to talk about it actually was just because. Um, there are a couple of there's two moments from this year that I remember the most like standing out to me from just getting a good reaction to us, and one was actually in our top film. So the ending to One Cut Gems both made us like jump and like shout a little bit, and there's one bit in Artemis Fowl that made us like scream. <laughs> so it's like opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like the worst film gave us a visceral reaction, or our best film gave us a visceral reaction. What but was there, that? What in Artemis Fowl? Just say it. Don't mean it. No, 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 no. no. It's, of course, I was going to say it anyway. So it's the bit when um, uh, Josh Gad is in it. The worst guy. I hate Josh Gad so much. Um, and they have to. He's like a. He's a dwarf, a gnome. He's a magical creature of some kind, but they're diggers. Um, yeah. A, a dwarf. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's supposed to be a dwarf. He's named Mulch Diggums. I don't know why I remember that name. Um, but they need him to, to to dig inside the Artemis Fowl Manor or whatever. And so the fairies are like, right, okay, go for it. And so he's like, right. He puts his goggles on and he like dislocates his jaw. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> Like, like, but, a, a complete nightmare feel oh God, like for a kids film like so but then weird. he starts eating the, like he starts like, he dislocates his jaw and like it expands like this massive like gaping maw and then he starts like eating the ground so that he can dig but he also starts like farting and shitting out the dirt that he's eating and it's like the fucking weirdest thing ever <laughs> it's um, on like cat's level bad like. it's very strange and it comes out of fucking nowhere like oh it's so strange but apart from that yeah garbage yep and last up um was Horse Girl and that doesn't really come under worst it comes under disappointing um, yeah. I had higher hopes for Horse Girl um, the, yeah it looked like it had such promising potential yeah, it did, yeah. and it was just nah yeah I think I remember sort of saying at the time it was like it reminded me a lot of The Machinist yes um, but not in a good way where like it felt like it was going the same route as The Machinist and it went on its own path, which was fine because you know otherwise I'd maybe even complain that it was a bit too much like Machinist if it followed that path exactly. Yeah. It went its own way, but whether that own way worked, I have no idea. If it works for anybody else, I have no idea because I like weird stuff and I like, you know, well we both like weird stuff and we both like 
that maybe there's not necessarily an explanation for everything going on, um, which is fine. But there was so much about an Oscar where I was like, what were they thinking? Like Alison Brie helped write it, I think, if I remember right. And I was like, but what was it trying to say? And I think that is the thing, is that... No, it was even, completely missing from the film. Yeah, like, it didn't, like again, like things don't always need an explanation, but sometimes they need to at least say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a horror girl was trying to say, I have absolutely no idea. The performances just, are really good, though. Like, Alison Brie was no, really, really like, good No, the performance is good. It was just, that's why it was such a shame. It was just like, yeah, it just went nowhere. It was just so, like... Oh, I don't even it's, a, it's a non-event. Like, there's yeah, a, there's like a it's, bit it's just not worth watching. It's not even worth... I, I wouldn't say it. It's just... There was yeah. a bit kind of leading up to the end of the movie where, like, it's almost like the, a sort of long dream sequence type thing where she, like... Um, she makes, like, this costume. I don't know if you remember this. She, like, yeah. sews it all together. Yeah. And then she starts, like, wandering around and, like, going to these weird places in the weird white room and all that sort of stuff. And I was like... I'm just gonna have to check out. I checked out by that point, and that was like half an hour before the end. Yeah. So I don't even know. It dragged know. so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a bit disappointing, really. That's all it really was. Um, yeah. uh, so that was our disappointing film of the year. So uh, we're gonna just wrap this up, but mm-hmm. just before we do, I hope everyone had a lovely new year. Yeah. And we, our new year's resolution is to do more podcasts, so that is there. Um, but now we're going into 2021, wanting some of the films that we were supposed to get in 2020. So I'll just shortly mention mm-hmm. that obviously we didn't get some films this year. Yeah. Um, my main two would, well, my main two from last year that we never got, um, that I went and started the year wanting was obviously The Green Knight. Yet again, Dev yep. Patel, supposed to be his year. The summer of Dev Patel. I know, it's such a shame. And Antlers, and Antlers was probably my most wanted film yeah, for 2020. Same. I was absolutely ecstatic, yeah. like wanting to, like I want to see that film so bad, and I just want them to give us it already. But obviously, there's been. Oh, I'm just hoping we still get Antlers. I'm like, sure we will. We're I getting just, the Green Knight because they've already they've already they've given us a certificate now. Yeah, and it's got a release date. I think it's April. Yeah, so we're definitely getting that. But Antlers just. Like I want that film so damn bad, and well, that's com- that's complicated because I you know. don't know what Disney are gonna do with it. That's um, the problem. It's, it's sitting just... in whatever vault they have with all the stuff they've got left over from Fox. Oh, um, I mean, I don't know uh, the guy. I can't remember the guy who directed it. Um, he directed Hostiles and stuff as well. Um, so he's had a couple of hits, not hits, but he's had some positive movies. Yeah. But more, I actually kind of feel bad for the guy who wrote it, which is um, Nick Anacosta, who also had success and then also immediate failure with four seasons of probably one of our favourite horror shows of all time which is Channel Zero yeah. so I kind of feel bad for him because I feel like that he just has a bad time like getting good horror out oh, to the world uh, I mean he didn't direct this but he did write it and he did write a lot of Channel Zero I mean he created Channel Zero as well as directed and wrote a lot of it as well so um, it's got a good pedigree just, just need it out I, I need just don't know out. what's going to happen with it I know just give us it on d- like just give us it on DVD like I don't know just yeah they're not going to release it on Disney Plus because obviously it's outside of the demographic for Disney Plus yeah. but just get it on VOD of some kind yeah. like you know Put it, like just yeah just release it like it's frustrating me now yeah and the, we also had so we had Saint Maud yeah which we could have actually had a chance to see um just before that does technically count as a 2020 film by the time we see it we'll have to count it as 2021 yeah. um, which I think we intend to end. so it did have a small release uh, cinema release of course at the moment any cinema release isn't going to be great because with, with all the 
precautions and stuff. I mean, we never went out to see it when it was in the cinema. Um, but we're hoping to hopefully see it soon. Yep. And Unless lastly, it's synchronic. Synchronic. What's your... I'm super hyped for it. Well, I've been hyped for it for a while. Not that I'm not. Like, I am really hyped for it, but I think you're like... Yeah, I think um, it kind of it would be funny because we actually haven't... Uh, another episode we've tossed around doing quite a lot has been um, Resolution in the Endless, which yeah. is literally like, it's made to be a double feature anyway. Yeah. Um, and as far as like horror directors go, the ones who I always... The new and upcoming ones who I, I swear in like 10 years are going to be talking about like, you know, the legends that they are is... Um, Aaron Murhead and Justin Benson, yeah. like, yeah. Um, they're they're just their ideas are, and they're also like good people. <laughs> like, yeah. they come across really well, and um, I am unsure if they are good actors. Well, I actually say that I don't know, because um, they're uh, the main characters in the Endless. Um, I think one's slightly better than the other, but I love them both. Um, they're good people, and like as you say, like their ideas are strong, especially like. They're just, it's very forward thinking stuff, and just like the trailer for Synchronic also kind of gives me that impression that yeah. we're in for something absolutely yeah, mental. And they've got a bit more of a budget behind them this time, and they've got um, some good A list well, actors in there. I don't know where Jamie Dornan sits in terms of celebrity, but <laughs> um, he's there, and you know, it's him and um, Anthony Mackie yeah. as well. So I'm excited for that, um, but I'm just more excited for more Murad and Benson, really. I know. So yeah, we'll hopefully get those films soon. And maybe um, we'll get that James Bond that's supposed to come out <laughs> as well. That just makes me laugh so much. Like the amount that was put into James Bond that's just Yeah. I know. Just let let go. Uh, I know. Just really <laughs> Daniel Craig go. I know. He needs to play um Benoit Blanc a few more times. Yeah, he's, that's he's what we really want. That's what I want. That's yeah. all I really want. That's I don't really care for wants. James Bond, I just want Benoit no. Blanc movies. But yeah, so we'll wrap this up. Oh no, sorry, we have Dune. Oh, we have got Dune. Yeah, oh got yeah, Dune no, we've got Dune. I, we're really excited for that. Yeah. I mean, I think most people are excited for that, but can't wait. But we'll see if we, we get to see it in the cinema. Yeah, that's the dream. Um, if not, we'll just have to watch it at home. But apart from that, no, we've I not decided what our next episode's going to be. So we'll probably stop doing it weekly and probably bi-weekly. Yeah. One because this has been a very long episode, um, so we'll sort of this sort of works as two episodes sort of fit into one, and yeah, we'll. Have yeah, a... We also have to watch two movies more or less back to back and take notes yeah. on each of them. And so I'll tell you, that's fucking exhausting. That takes a day <laughs> in itself just out of you. It also so. depends exactly on what it is that we're doing the episode on because sometimes it's like we watch some and we're like it's really good to watch those again and they're actually easy going or it's like the Suspiria episode where it's like I actually just kind of want to die Yeah. Uh, I and I actually love the movies but I just don't want to watch them I know, I know, no, I completely <laughs> get that but yeah, so until next time until next time, have a good one and stay safe <laughs>